Okay, so before we start with episode 5, there's uh, a thing I feel that we should collectively address. Just me and David at the moment. Daniel's at his uh, martial arts class still. Uh, I really hope this is the week they finally teach him the touch of death. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, alright, we're safe. We're, we're not in the same room. We're, we're, we're safe from his uh, evil ways. So basically what happened was, I think it was... Yeah, just after, so we're recording this now, Wrestle Kingdom 11 has happened, and uh, as as you no doubt know, the main event between uh, Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega got rather a lot of press, and so basically we were on our little Facebook group, which we have uh, with us three hosts and, uh, you know, 90 or so of our closest friends in the world, and we were having this discussion about, uh, with our friend Ash, about when people sort of tweet silly shit to uh, brands asking them their opinions on, you know, pop culture hot issues of the day. And uh, Ash suggested that I tweet something um, at Tesco along the lines of, quote, was the top rope dragon suplex in Okada Omega an unnecessary risk? P.S. Love your sausage rolls. So basically, and this was just to pop Ash, uh, might I might I say, uh, I just put it into our Twitter account, tweeted it, and then sent Ash a screenshot saying, you know, I was as good as my word. Basically just to make him laugh. Didn't think any more of it. Went to bed uh, soon afterwards. Uh, got up. And then I think I had to go into town for some, like, uh, job interview or buying groceries or some other such bullshit. And uh, came back to find that it had kind of gone semi-viral. I mean, to give you an indication, we've got a tweet from a few hours later which says, Oh my fucking God, George, I don't log in for 18 hours and come back to this mess. What the fuck are all these notifications, David? <laughs> I, I mean, as a real, as real an emotion as I've ever gone to Outflow on Twitter. <laughs> in a I was going to say, horror. <laughs> we're, we're usually couched between like behind like seven levels of irony. So this was, uh, yeah, this was quite the thing. And yeah, I, I had no idea that uh, this had happened until I until I came home. Yeah, I was just sort of doing my own thing. I don't have a smartphone. My my phone's like a five pound piece of shit I bought from the car phone warehouse because it was cheap and the contract's like eleven pound a month. I had no fucking idea this was going on. Um so it got I think like in the end forty five retweets, seventy one likes. So, you know, pretty good going is if if there's a fucking social media guru listening to this, I think we can all agree those are solid metrics. And uh then we found out that on um uh, on Reddit, uh it was like the third or fourth top thing because uh we tweeted this uh, but not only that, I should mention, um, uh, Tesco actually went and bloody replied, which was not something I was um, uh, expecting. It said, hi, Poro. Personally, I'd say it looked painful, but made for a great match. Like, Glad you like our sausage rolls. Smiley face. Thank you, Paul. First thing, I, I love that Paul addresses as Poro, although that's our first name. I mean, it is. <laughs> Corey Poe, Mr. Podcast is my father. It's like it's like my friend, I have a friend Sectarian Scott. His first name is Sectarian, his second name is Scott, and that's just the the the, the truth. Like it's not <laughs> universally known as Sectarian Scott. I don't even know what his second name is, just it's Scott, but Is his name Scott? Or like he is Scottish. No no, um... his name is Scott. It's Scott something, but he's he's now been appropriated to Sectarian Scott. Um, oh, he, excellent. He was, um, al- he was also the person who once said if he could have a WrestleMania entrance, he'd have an orange walk. <laughs> <laughs> that, was just Donald, that was just Donald Trump coming to the ring at Mania 23, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so yeah, basically what happened on um, uh, on Reddit was people were sort of taking notice of this, and it kind of started a bit of a thing, um, at which point people decided <laughs> to start asking other British supermarket chains, and not only supermarket chains, but also um, mobile phone providers, uh, what they thought of the Akada Omega match, and then... <laughs> And then someone, and this went very meta, someone called Donaldosaurus, um, <laughs> which which I believe is Latin for Donald Lizard, um, started rating the responses from the supermarkets. Um, the best one was, uh, it said, uh, little four and a half stars, as with Sainsbury's first reply, showing knowledge and enthusiasm beyond what could be easily Googled. And that's that's why you shop there, and not just for their lovely turducken. I would, I, I would like to in at this very moment. Sainsbury's great bunch of lads. Um I <laughs> I messaged them. Um just you know, I think someone else has asked them about it and then I replied, as good as I thought Omega Okada was, Sainsbury's Raspberry Jam Donuts are the only thing in the world I can give six stars to. Which is very <laughs> true. They are. And then Robbie from Sainsbury's, I don't know if he's listening. I really hope he is. I really hope that Robbie from Sainsbury's is on his way home on the commute listening to this. But um, hello Robbie if you are but he, he replied hi there as much as I love wrestling I'd have to agree nothing beats our jam donuts which is the truth they, they are incredible I think I mentioned this in episode 1 didn't I I think it did. I th- I, I'm almost certain you did um, I tell, you, tell you what when we, when we put this on uh, on Twitter eventually I'll tag uh, I'll tag Sainsbury's and just give a shout out to Robbie and Robbie's tell, a tell good lad tell him to listen in yeah, yeah. so um, you also tweeted um um, what was your match with Omega at Wrestle Kingdom 11 better than your previous matches with Tanahashi to Okado? Yes. Which is, if there are any Yanks <laughs> listening to this, um, Okado is, um, a, crucially one vowel different from Okada, is a company which, basically, it's a, it's like a grocery delivery service, but for posh cunts, basically. Yes, yeah, basically, it's, it's, it's shops for Tories, basically, that's what it is. Yeah, and, and they come to you, which, like, they, they, they love with their schedule of eating fibers out of a trough <laughs> <laughs> glorying in the fact that there's a trace amount of meat content in them <laughs> oh god so um i should also say by the way that um uh, our friend uh, ash who um who c- can claim the credit for the wording of uh, the now notorious uh, tweet to tesco um we have a nice new logo now um, which yeah. Ash designed for us, um, going off a um, well, I I sent him a brief which was basically a um, <laughs> I asked for a coat of arms with Yoji Anjo's battered face after his uh, fight with Hicks and Gracie, uh, giant barber um, at some sort of checkpoint on the Falls Road, <laughs> and uh, a big picture of Furhill. Yes, and uh, he was strangely not amenable to this uh, to this prospect. I said the works. What he did do was give us this absolutely lovely logo, which I think apes the uh, the the classic All Japan logo, and mm. it's got um, our our podcast name, and also it's got it translated into I think uh, Katakana is the writing system. Um, I, they've got I, like fucking four of them in in Japan. They, I think that's the one. complicated, but I I thought it was kanji, but I could just be a friend. So I think I, I think kanji's the one which is like the characters from Chinese. Right, and these okay. don't look like them, so I think I think it's katakana, but whatever it is, it's sort of it's Japanese writing anyway. Yeah. And 
there is also you can see um, the outline of someone giving a dude a backdrop driver um, where Hokkaido is in the map. Oh which fuck! Is, I didn't know, notice that. Yeah, there's more dangerous things in Hokkaido than the snow and the bears, mate. <laughs> exactly. But yes, thank you so much to uh, to Brother Ash for giving yeah, us a fantastic like, logo. He is a good he is a good brother. Um, I also want to say that um, David, you had a uh, rather less successful um, bout of Twitter engagements uh, yes. recently, didn't you? Would you Would you like to tell all our lovely listeners about that? Yes. So um, after the UK. Um, the UK tournament that was fantastic. I mean, my favourite moment of the entire um, entire tournament was Scotland legend and Man United legend Darren Fletcher turning up in the crowd. Um, it, it was, and I, I marked out, to be honest, that was my marked moment of the weekend. <laughs> he's, a, he, he, he's a Scotland hero. Um, he, he battled for it. Did he battle for it? Was it testicular cancer he had? And he had to no, go it, was, uh, it was, I think, oh, what's, what's that thing... Uh, it was something like diverticulitis, that thing uh, Brock Lesnar had. Diverticulitis, that's the one we eat too much steak. Um, it was something to do with his stomach or his bowel or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, he, he battled back from that and uh, ended up, uh, you know, he, he's playing now for, um, not not for Man United, but for his current team. It was so great to see, uh, to hear Michael Cole say the words West Bromwich Albion <laughs> live on the WWE <laughs> Network for only nine ninety nine. <laughs> yes, exactly. So... I, I love this and decided to tweet to to at Darren Fletcher in on a tweet. The problem was is I put the wrong fucking Darren Fletcher and tweeted some BT Sport pundit who I mean he could be a pundit. Uh, you know they they take on anybody. They take on Michael Owen. So you know, but yeah, um, the ro- until someone kindly pointed it out. But what I will say is that the the BT Sport pundit was in the background. I just couldn't see him. That's why I added him in. Um, yeah. <laughs> But more successfully, we we did get a we did get a, a tweet from um, the mighty football institution Ferg Lanark. Um <laughs> Now I say mighty football insti- institution. I mean they did go defunct in about nineteen sixty four, and I don't think they have any living fans left. But um, they did reform as a, an amateur team. The Scottish football pyramid is worse than the Memphis Tate Library for trying to understand. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> <laughs> how how complicated how needlessly complicated it is. We have juniors who are not juniors; they're all at thirty five years old. We have amateurs, you know, it's all over the place. But needless to say, Ferd Lanark, they were a big team. They were nine, for divi- uh, first division champions in nineteen oh four. Um, you can actually you can buy a a, spot, uh, a supporters club. You can be a member of the supporters club for ten pounds. They send you a badge. That I would sounds like a fucking tax write-off to me. It's like those, <laughs> those those companies that only exist as a piece of paper in a drawer in Liechtenstein. <laughs> yeah, so, but I'm going to, I asked if they had any fixtures coming up. They do, they have one next week. I'm going to go see them. Um, their, park <laughs> is, their park is still, like, the, the football stadium from the 1960s is still there. They never demolished it. So it's just all the stands and they've all overgrown with trees and leaves and the goalposts are still there and they still play football at it. It's like a 60,000 seater stadium. But they can't play there. They're they're applying to the council to play there, but they're playing at some. They're playing nearby me, myself actually. But um, yeah. So they they tweeted back mainly because I forgot to log out and go into a personal Twitter and just thought, fuck it, <laughs> I'll just tweet them. So yeah, yeah. Hello to Ford Lanark and Vale of Leven and Renton and all those teams, all those archaic rel- relics of the Scottish football past. Um, I, I I do like I do like my football teams named after characters from Train Spotting. <laughs> Renton, <laughs> exactly. 
But, uh, um, I also got a um, retweet off of um, Vader. This isn't particularly difficult to do. All you need to do is to say something about how awesome Vader is, and it'll, <laughs> it'll retweet you. And I was I did a big long article which you can read at I maintain the silly.com about why Vader should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And when we come to our next episode, episode six, you'll get to hear. Um, a lot more about one of the famous matches that I mentioned in that article, and you know why we think like you know Vader was the absolute tits. So um, I think that I think that wraps up our. We've done a bit of a sort of uh, tableau of our social media engagement uh, since uh, since we last spoke to you all. So yeah. I think what we what we should do now is um, Daniel appears to be in from his touch of death class. So what we will do is. Leave this here for a bit and reconvene in, well, I was going to say in a few minutes. It won't be a few minutes for you. It will be instantaneous. So I've been Stato. And I, I've been David. <laughs> you look surprised You look surprised by that. I forgot my name there for a minute. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're the only person who's actually given their full name out, out on the podcast. So, uh, I mean, you're still in a position of moral superiority. Anyway. Yes. See you in a few, guys. Bye. Hello everyone, uh, welcome to episode 5 of the Puro Furry podcast. Um, we may as well be completely upfront about uh, the gestation of this episode. Um, we're now on the uh, the PWO network and uh, uh, we've had um, all of our um, episodes before this uploaded. Um, episode five, 5 though, did encounter uh, a few issues, I'll be honest. One main it's issue. Being one main issue. That you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> Which is that I am an absolute ring piece. Um, and I basically, I've got a new laptop um, and I managed to, um, in the transferring of files over from my old one, delete a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have done. And George's uh, parts were fine. David's parts were fine. Uh, but mine disappeared. So actually, pretty much most people at home are probably thinking, well, that would be a bonus. But uh, unfortunately... <laughs> We've decided to uh, to re-record it. So, hello, my name is Daniel, and as I previously mentioned, I'm here with my compadres George and David, uh, and we are going to be carrying on this episode talking um, about the uh, the UWFI and New Japan feud. So, um, if, uh, I think maybe um, uh, George, if you want to just give people a reminder of where we we left off uh, the last time, and then we can maybe get into uh, finishing off talking about this uh, this event and this dumb show. Yeah, sure. I mean, before before I do so, I'd just like to point out that when we uh, recorded this the first time, uh, as, as you might know, we there is a little bit of a lag between when we record these and um, when we release them. I mean, I think by the time episode four came out, we were talking about the um, this amazing hot, like, New Japan Noah angle. Uh, 
and we were praising yeah. it to the high heavens. And like by the time the episode was actually released, the two groups had severed all ties. <laughs> yeah. So um, things like that can happen. But I just want to point out that it was um, November the 4th, 2016, when we actually recorded uh, this episode the first time. And so for reasons that may become clear due to certain uh, certain occurrences a few days later, um, you know, I think the episode that was lost to the mists of time um might have been a little bit more upbeat than what we're about to do and my god it was not particularly fucking upbeat at all (laughs) so um here's where we are in the um in the timeline so it's the uh 9th of october 1995 still uh the tokyo dome show new japan versus uwfi it's an eight match series and i think i'm right in saying new japan are currently two matches to one up Yep, in the series. Yep. It's mostly been undercard guys. Um, we had a very, very good uh, tag team match in the opener, which uh, I think we would all urge you to check out. Yeah. And coming up next is a match that um, I think people would have looked at this card at the time and gone, oh, fucking hell, this is this is going to be something special. It is uh, representing New Japan, uh, the legendary Jushin Liger, and UWFI is represented by uh, No Kisano. Now, this was an absolutely huge feud in New Japan's junior heavyweight division yeah. in uh, 1989 to 1990. There's one match in particular where oh. I think it's Li- Liger who bleeds a gasket. One or possibly both of them does. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Liger and it's the one where uh, the, the mask gets torn. Um, yes. And it's just a straight up like hate brawl, um, which is really interesting to see from Liger at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mentioned this the last time, but it has one of my favourite spots of all time, where when when the mask is ripped, the whole idea was that when when uh, Liger was unmasked as Fuji Yamada, but when he started as a young line, he used the shooting mm. star press, and then mm. um, he retired it when he became Jushin Liger because he didn't want people to know he was Fuji Yamada. But in this match, in this match, um, they tear the mask off of him to reveal his Fuji Yamada, and then he hits him with a shooting star press. But he's suddenly transformed <laughs> back into Fuji Yamada, which I thought was a fantastic piece of continuity. Um, yeah. Favorite bits uh, in any match. I love it so yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and it's exactly the kind of thing that you would expect from someone that puts so much thought into his work as, as Liger does. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you remember that match where I think it's Liger versus Muto? Uh, when, um, like, I think it's when Muto unmasked him and Liger's got, like, he's got fucking face paint on. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it's like he's awoken sort of Liger's final form, this really dark, evil version um, of him, which is, yeah, that's a really cool stuff. Um, so, basically, Sano was, he was a bit like um, Tiger Mask, Satoru Sayama, in that he was, a, he was a very good junior heavyweight worker in the start at the time. But what he really wanted to do was to do shoot style. And so by this time, he'd ended up in UWFI. Now, actually, um, although y- y- you might not know this because he's known for his innovative high-flying and you know, really memorable look with the costume and the horns and the hair and everything, yeah. um, Liger was actually a really great amateur wrestler when he was younger. In uh, 1981, he got to the final of the Japanese high school championship in his weight class. And um, did, I think we talked about this last time. You two lads, uh, do you know who his opponent was? I'm going to pretend that I don't, just for the purposes of this. Uh, There'll be a lot of this. But George, who was it? I'm totally clueless. Yeah. I've got no idea who it could be, George. Like, well, well, gentlemen, his opponent was uh, one Toshaki Kawada. <gasps> Never! No, no. Are you sure? <laughs> Get out of town, you mad bastard. But, Jesus um, Christ. Like... Yeah, Liger versus Kawada, who, as far as I know, um, they never had a singles match in their pro careers. 
and I think we were on opposite sides of a tag match maybe once or twice. I know certainly Liger was only in the one match with Misawa. Yeah, um, like I, I've just like I, I've just had like a mini uh, kind of internal orgasm at the very thought of that match. Like, uh, Jesus, imagine how good that would be. Oh, carry on, everyone, carry on. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I've, I think. I've... Every yeah, every right. every so often I do a Google search for Jushin Liger versus Mitsuharu Misawa just in case. Just <laughs> check, checking his cage match every so often just to make sure somebody's not found one. Yeah. <laughs> it comes it, up. It, it's give give it up. It's like Hypnodisc versus Razor. You're never gonna find it. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, um, yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I mean. This match, um, I, I think we'll get into um, in, in a moment. Uh, I, I guess some of the some of the uh, elements of this match, which maybe we think suit the environment that it's being that, that it's being presented in, and also maybe um, some of the things that we think maybe um, are a little bit different, I suppose, to how some of the other matches have been presented here as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, uh, maybe we can uh, uh, get into some some chat about uh, about the match itself. Now we, we've done a bit of background. Yeah, yeah, I mean, one thing, yeah, I mean, the way in which it starts is quite a good in- indication of maybe how this match straddles the line between the general New Japan Junior Heavyweight style and the shootier stuff that you don't know if I were doing. And the first match is, um, uh, Jushin, uh, the first move of the match, Jushin Liger does a Kobo kick. If you don't know what that yeah. is, it's the, um, so if you do a forward roll and you, you kick them with the foot that's going around, um, if you if you watch the UK Championship on the WWE Network, which, which we mentioned earlier, that's something that Tyler Bate was doing as a move to set up for his finisher, and it's a really cool strike. Um, Liger actually did one of these in an MMA fight with Minoru Suzuki that may or may not have been a work. Now, yeah. Daniel, well, you've just I... come from uh, some sort of martial arts class, um, <laughs> presumably doing a Kobo yeah. kick. The first thing they fucking teach you at the dojo. <laughs> Well, all yeah. I say is that work or no work, it was definitely organised by legitimate businessmen. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. Um, well, I mean, just to give uh, the people that are listening some some kind of context, of, I think this is basically my um, my kind of uh, my, my 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 sort of celestial punishment for uh, for having fucked up the last episode uh, because um, I've um, I've actually come straight from my Muay Thai class. Um, and um, that that sounds kind of cool and like uh, yeah like this guy's uh, but I, I think it's worth pointing out that I am utter dog shit at Muay Thai. <laughs> like, I am absolutely bollocks. Right now I would probably be all right because I've been doing it for about three years or so, but I have loads of bad anxiety problems and depression and things, and it basically means that I don't train for like six months. I have to start again every time. So I've come straight from there, and we were practicing leg kicks. And I've not even had a shower. I've still got my shorts on, and I am I'm, I'm aching all over. So yeah, I will say this: we have never been taught that kick. <laughs> like, like and I, I've been going for a, for a while. We've never been taught that kick. Not not in Thai, not in MMA, like not in any of the classes that I, I've done has that kick ever come up. So have you t- have you see- tried it though? Have you tried it? Oh, God, you may not no, have been no, taught no, it, but I could see no, you pulling no. out a copper kick. And, oh, and sparring. Oh man, I I can't even head. Like, I can't even get my foot high enough to head kick. Like uh, like uh, and like and like really decent guys can't do that, you know. Like so, it's it's a very complicated thing to try and pull off. Let alone in what might have been possibly maybe a shoot against a guy <laughs> that really 
really knew what he was doing. So um, if anyone wants to, to watch this, you can find this on YouTube or, or Daily Motion pretty easily. Um, it's one of the great car crash um, uh, kind of 30 seconds in, in, uh, in, in, in pro wrestling combat sports crossovers. It's um, very strange, especially because in the fine tradition of um, Alberto Del Rio, yes. uh, choo-choo, party time, um, he, he wears the mask during the match, um, which is just like, I mean, Didn't Kendall you know, Cashin do that? Kendall Cashin did that as yeah, well. Yeah, Kendall but, Cashin uh, did yeah, as well. But Kendall yeah. Cashin is the, dog shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a fine tradition of people that should not be in there with guys that know what they're doing uh, wearing masks to fight. <laughs> you know, do, do you think that the um, the Lucha Commission would frown upon it if Del Rio was to start wearing the Dos Caras Jr. mask again to hide his identity from the Austrian police? <laughs> <laughs> or possibly from a vengeful Knight family? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like, uh, oh, God, I mean, that's a whole other fucking, like, that's a dark one. I've said it once, I've said, I'll say it a thousand times, I'll bet when Alberto Del Rio was in Pride, Pedro was in primary school, right? <laughs> God! It, it, like, oh. Every time we watch yeah. Total Divas and they appear, I mention it to my wife, who doesn't know what the fuck Pride is, but I make sure <laughs> she knows he got knocked out by Crow Cop. <laughs> <laughs> It would be good if she got it confused for the film. Uh, <laughs> uh, Alberto Del Rio was in Pride. Like, the LGBT really? classic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like Alberto Del Rio, well known for his, um, his being a prime mover in lesbian and gays against the minors. Uh, <laughs> against the minors? That's a different film. Against the minors? May, may, oh, may, no. Maybe that was the destiny of which he spoke. <laughs> that, that, that's the sequel. That's the sequel in which the, they turn on the minors. Back to this wrestling match. Yes, um, so yeah, Liger, he teases a dive very, very early. Obviously, we were not seeing dives in the, the earlier matches, uh, um, even from someone like uh, Shinjiro Otani, who was, um, you know, he was capable of them. I mean, you yeah. know, he, he, he broke his ankle in uh, fucking North Korea uh, attempting one, but that's another story. <laughs> and I think, we'll you know, it's, it's a uh, mistake to class Liger primarily as a flyer, although you, you may know, like, you know, innovative high-flying stuff like the shooting star press, which he invented. But strikes and submissions are probably a more important part of his game. And certainly nowadays, when he, you know, he he, I, he, he might be able to do a shooting star press, probably not a fucking good idea, considering he's like 51, 52. And so no. he's become more of a ground-based and strike-based wrestler. And, you know, he always had that in his arsenal. And he's still fantastic at um, doing stuff like that. The submission work is... It's a bit strange in this in this match, I felt, and not so much because uh, the work was um, uh, bad or weirdly executed, because it wasn't. Although it is, no. it is less shooty than in previous matches. It's more like the sort of stuff you'd find in maybe seventies wrestling. It's much less yeah. messy than some of the stuff that we've uh, we've covered before. Um, but it's very weird because the crowd goes wild for this quite unrealistic spot where they're sort of. Um, I guess a test of strength spot turns into mat grappling and then flipping back and forward and stuff like that. And uh, the crowd absolutely adores that. And then um, Liger attempts an arm bar and they don't react, which is, is really strange. I mean, this, yeah. as we said before, this isn't a UWFI crowd. This is very much a you know crowd of primarily New Japan fans. One thing I wanted um, uh, to mention just about Liger in terms of the submission mark you mentioned. This is is October ninety five. Is that right? Is this one? So around October uh, yes. ninety five this year. 
Um, I know that like he changed his submission style up. He he really worked on that. It was after his brain tumor, and when he had that removed, he had the brain surgery to remove the tumor. He that was when he he kind of moved away from the style, and that was I would have been about October ninety six because I remember he was at Starcade against Mysterio, and um, they mentioned that he'd only been out for a couple of uh, very very short period of time, like a month or two. So yeah, because. Yeah, it was the um, it was the uh, the J Crown tournament in nineteen ninety six, which happened uh, in August at the same time as the G one. Yeah, and that was to unify yeah. eight junior heavyweight championships. And Liger jobbed in the first round in like two minutes, and the re- and everyone thought that was a bit weird. And then there was like, no, the guys, I literally have brain cancer. <laughs> Got to go and <laughs> yeah. take care of that. Yeah. Got to go and give that a show, Tay. <laughs> it's a good job he wasn't on work fair because they'd probably still try to get him in for a fucking meeting. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, Ian Dunn uh, yeah, calling you out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check us out. It's like beyond the fringe, but like you know, a bit more grotty. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but uh, one of my friends spent New Year's Eve at his house. Well, sorry, I, I, for a second, then I was like, "Who? Peter Cooks?" And basically, I yeah, I, I got a text from him. I was in bed watching uh, Batman Returns because I was having a fucking wild New Year, and uh, I just got a text. <laughs> Mate saying we're doing karaoke in singing as time goes by hmm. which is weird because that's like time going by is the thing like you know the conservative party <laughs> seems to hate but um <laughs> the other thing was and, and uh, just quickly um so uh, so apparently oh there was a, a par- party <laughs> once at um involving talking. some young people at Ian Duncan Smith's house and um uh, it was like his son's birthday or something. Everyone goes, I think we might have to cut this due to fucking libel, but I want to tell you it anyway. Um, no, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah, so basically, <laughs> so Ian Duncan Smith's son had a birthday party and a bunch of them decided to like get absolutely wasted. And it was about one or two in the morning. Now, Ian Duncan Smith, he's like, he's in the, he was in the cabinet, but like his wife is the one with all the money. Like she's, she's like, she's very rich. And so she had, they have a big fuck off house with like a pool on the slide. And about one or two in the morning, some of the absolutely wasted people decided, like, let's go skinny dipping. And so they took all the clothes off and got in the pool. And then one of them decides to get to the top of the slide, completely billy bollocks. He's about to go down. And suddenly a light comes on in the upstairs bedroom and Ian Duncan Smith is staring out at him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. Like, oh, this is fun. You see, this is what I love about doing this podcast is that we all we all have this like incredibly diverse range of life experiences and friendship groups. Yeah. And, like, it, it, it's it's probably the o- the only professional wrestling podcast where you, you're going to find um, like a story about the former and reviled um, <laughs> uh, work and pension secretary uh, having um, a, a a party with some adolescents getting bollock naked on his premises. Seeing that, um, I once went to Ian Duncan's house, uh, Ian Duncan Smith's house for Christmas. I pulled a cracker with him. Do you know what the joke inside was? What do you call what? a fly what? with no wings? Fit to work. For <laughs> 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 fuck's sake. Allegedly. Oh, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. Um, That's your catch-all yeah, disclaimer. So, so yeah. Um, God, where were we? Carry on, George. Yeah, okay. So the other thing is um, they don't react for the arm bar, which was like a killer move in New York Five, but they do go mad for the octopus stretch because yeah. that's an Anoki move um, so um, later on in the match um, Liger goes to one of those shoot style planchers and uh, 
goes <laughs> just goes splat on the floor, uh, which looked pretty yeah. painful. And then Sano, um, you know, similarly uh, shoots Dahl's suicide dive, which uh, yeah. gets a massive reaction. At this point, it becomes clear like they're not particularly making much effort to do a UWFI style match. Not in the same way no. that people like. Um, Yuji Nagata did, or Shinjiro Otani. Yeah. This is very much okay. It's a really without you know the crowd heat and like blood and mass gripping they had six years ago. It's very much a greatest hits version of the great matches they were having back then. But George, have you have you not seen that Volcan Kosaka match where Volcan does a Topi Suicida out to the side? Have you not seen all those uh, all those Tomorrow matches where he does red arrows? <laughs> I t- I- I tell you what, Tario bit Sadze had a hell of a six thirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed, Ed Strangle Lewis is having a super kick party. <laughs> um, the only thing, the only thing he's strangling is my suspension of disbelief. <laughs> is that a bad place for an Altusa joke? Probably. Um, okay, so um, basically, uh, I, I think you raised a good point before. You raised this point about um, how. Let's be honest, this is a pretty jarring um, uh, uh, match in some ways yeah. to have um, in, in the midst of all this. Um, you know, these. we spoke last episode about how, in some ways, New Japan are trying to accommodate um, shoot style, um, you know, um, uh, to, to a more or a lesser extent. Yeah. Um, but that perhaps the, the results um, of the matches thus far have um, almost made that a little bit redundant in terms of New Japan coming out um, on top and yeah. the the visual taps and things. But yeah, I think we can maybe go into a bit more depth about this. I mean, in terms of this match, you know, how you said that, what you said that was right, I think. It is a a, a kind of greatest hits package that, that had, there's a lot of callbacks to um, some of their previous matches. It's nowhere near uh, the, the level of those like transcendent, uh, you know, the, the, that, that feud they had. Um, uh, is it, I think it's 89, isn't it? 90 that they have that, that, that feud originally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean that because the original that that um the that 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 big uh that big sort of brawl, brawl fest with the blood and the the, the torn mask is one of my favorite Liger matches ever. Yeah. Uh, but do do you think, guys, that this is too jarring, or do you think that it that it gets away with it? See, I, I, oh, carry on. Yeah, go, you, you first, and then I'll go. Okay. See, I I felt I really like this, and I really like the positioning. I like the fact that they booked this in the card purely because, I mean, New Japan versus UWFI. The problem is, is that there is not really much interaction there's not really much cross-pollination in terms of you know established rivals i like the fact that there was a uwfi guy and a new japan guy who had history and it really it like to be honest it really showed in the match because i felt that there was a really good undercurrent in the match and that sano fucking hates liger right and liger fucking hates <laughs> sano and um sano knows liger at the back of his hand he knows every yeah. trick in the book so, like, for example, Liger goes to a surfboard, Sano escapes from it. Liger's visibly frustrated, um, you know, visibly frustrated, and, you know, he knows that Sano, not, he not has a number, but he, he knows everything he can he, he can do to work around. Um, I mean, at the start, there was, there was a, what was that? There was something, I mean, even with the dive, you mentioned about the dive out, where Sano yeah. jumps out of the way and then does a plancher. It really telegraphed, like, he, he, they know each other so well. And I like the fact that there was that sort of history of this match. It does stand out a bit, but to be honest, by this point, I was screaming out for something that stood out because, as we probably mentioned the last time, that this these matches got a bit samey after a while, so I, I, I was yeah. delighted there was a bit of change. 
Yeah, I, I think the note about surfboard, I mean, I, be, I believe that's how uh, uh, Randy Couture won his third UFC heavyweight <laughs> championship. That is a classic fucking MMA hold, the Mexican surfboard. Yeah. Many shoot style, wow. Um, yeah, I think, I, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I, as I, I think, you know, regular listeners of ours will know, you know, David is a very big proponent of wrestling, having something for everyone and, you know, offering a lot of variety. So I get why. And certainly I think the opener was good, but nothing's been, I think, standout so far. And breaking up the, uh, you know, the shoot style uh, matches, I think in a sense, it is a good thing to just sort of and make you appreciate the shoot style work when it comes back. Having said that, I think in the context of this feud, I'm not quite sure what it was doing on this show, considering a that you know it was really meant to be you know New Japan versus UWFI, uh, and you know in the sense uh, which brings me to my second point that it was kind of a bit counterproductive to the way they were trying to book it, which is to prove that New Japan could beat UWFI at their own sort of martial arts based game, and I don't think this. A match particularly helps the booking in that sense. I mean, we'll come to the stuff that does help the booking a bit later, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just one thing I thought. Um, Liger's strikes are absolutely fantastic here. His uh, drop kicks to the knee are yeah, yeah, yeah. really, really good. Um, it does have a hot finish. This uh, this um, match, like you said, David, um, like getting out of the uh, you know, um, Sano countering the figure four, which gets a figure four gets a good reaction when it's slapped on. That'll be important later. Um, then yep. Liger does, does a lovely backdrop driver, another copo kick in the corner, and a, a pile driver. And then he uh, misses a diving headbutt, which always makes me wins post Benoit, you know. Um, but yeah. And then uh, Sano slaps an armbar onto a prone li- uh, Liger, and that gets a better reaction. So it's quite illustrative that the crowd don't see it as a hold that can finish a match at any time as a UWFI audience was, but they do see it as a hold that can finish a match in the right context, i.e., you know, 10 minutes into a match when Liger's just stacked it on a big move. Hmm. And that that really plays to the difference in sort of New Japan versus UWFI crowds. Now, I'm by no means an expert on UWFI. I've seen quite a few things, but did they ever do the... The UFC, you know, like the, the the Ronda finishes where it's like twelve seconds and done. Did they ever do that? Would they have really short matches? They just were finishes out of nowhere. Yes, some sometimes they did. Yeah, like yeah. Um, famously, yeah. I think this was maybe nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety one. Um, the main event was Takada versus uh, Bob Backlund of all the people, and yeah, um, yeah, Takada yeah. won in about two minutes. Hmm. And yeah. I think I might have mentioned this as episode four. The the uh, Takada won in about two minutes, and the crowd hmm. were a bit pissed because I think yeah. in a sense, in the heart of hearts, they sort of kind of knew it wasn't all on the level and they'd maybe get a, a longer match. And Takara did get on the mic and apologize and say, you know, okay, you know, we'll do a rematch. Yeah. And like, hopefully wink, wink, it'll be a longer match next time. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, um, I, I've, I'm presuming that the Backland Takara match that I've seen um, uh, is, is that one. Uh, because it's, I actually think it's a really good match. Um, if that's the one I'm thinking of, because the one I've seen is longer, um, and it's on the um, the uh, the DVD VR, the Death Valley Driver uh, video review, um, best of um, uh, UWF or best of other Japan uh, DVD set oh, cool. they put out, uh, and it's it, it's really good. Um, I mean, 
Backlund's a guy whose career in Japan we could definitely talk about at some point. Oh, because if a guy can have a match, a match that good with Takada, and then also have one of the ultimate um, car, like train wrecks of all time against Sasuke, <laughs> oh, um, that's 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 our fucking wheelhouse, and we need to get involved. In, in terms of fucking world. maniacs, like you know, <laughs> a cross-Pacific partnership of, the, I should say, trans-Pacific <laughs> partnership that's gone down the Swanee as of today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of absolute lunacy. Um, that again, we're gonna probably f- properly fucking date ourselves if this ends up getting released in like April or something. Um, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 kind of interesting that happens. Actually, we've we've got a mate who looks exactly like early eighties Bob Bob Backlund. Pete, if you're watching this, love you. Um, so get getting towards the. Uh, getting towards. Wait, the, wait, wait! Is, is is that Pete from our Facebook? It is Pete group? from our Facebook group. Have you never? Known? I've never noticed. That- I've never noticed that he looks like Bob He Backlund. really does. I, I think I, I've met him. <laughs> you have met him. I don't know what state you were in when you yeah. did. But... I, I, oh, I don't know. Maybe it was the 12-hour-long Megabus or, or something. But I honestly didn't notice that he looked like Bob Backlund. Uh, that's, yeah, uh, that's that, interesting though. That, the that's the other thing I would say is also that when they brought in monsters like uh, Gary Albright and Vader into uh, mm. UWFI, like there's a great match of... Um, uh, I think his name is Mark, Mark Silver or someone like that. And Gary Albright yeah. absolutely murders this poor bastard. His, <laughs> his rec- this guy's record is like, in UWFI, is like no wins, five losses, <laughs> three draws or something. Yeah. And Albright beats yeah. him with a dragon suplex in like, or a series of them in like 90 seconds. Do you know why Gary Albright does that? Do you know, do you know how he gets away He's with that? He's a genuine that? menace. <laughs> He's a genuine menace. <laughs> Shout out, shout out to the mysterious Gary. Then again, uh, like those matches are not so much you know, out of nowhere finishes between like two capable fighters as this big fucker yeah. is absolutely destroying this like horribly outmatched opponent. So it's a it's a short like um, unexpected, well not unexpected, but uh, just a short match, but in a different sense. Yeah. So the um, yeah, yeah, finish to this. Uh, so Liger gets out of this arm bar that Sano's got it and uh, does a DDT. Uh, Sano does a jumping back kick. He loved his back kicks, did Sano. In fact, and in about 10 years' time in Noah, he will only do back kicks. <laughs> I, I, I was actually going to mention this. Um, I've, I've got this in my notes, so I may as well bring this up. Like, I mean, I, I don't pretend to be in any way um, as much of an expert in, in how matches are put together or how they're, they're structured as, as maybe some of these guys um, that... Um, that, uh, that are part of the same network we're on. You listen to guys like like Dylan and like uh, Chris Zellner and Vix and those guys talking about matches and, and Chad and those guys. And you're just like, wow, these, these guys have got a great feel for how matches are put together. Um, I won't put myself at that level, but one observation that I made, and I'm not sure if this is in any way accurate, but I kind of felt like this is probably the le- some of the later stuff that I've seen from Sano. I've seen, as you mentioned, some of the stuff where he's really like, you know, at the end yeah. of, 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 of things. Um, but this is the most I've seen from kind of this period. I've only really seen earlier stuff uh, before this. And I don't know about you guys, but I felt like Liger was leading this quite a lot. Um, I don't, I don't know if you think that's a fair, um, a fair thing, a fair thing to say or, or what. But I felt like there were moments when I really felt like the ramping up of uh, of the pace and the transitions between the different spots were kind of on on Liger. I don't know if that's just because I'm a massive Liger mark and I, I see things that way. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. What do you think? Yeah, I think there was. I think there's something to be said for that, but I think it's mainly just because um, there's a bit of a like face heel dynamic going on um, in in so far as um, like Liger is really, you know, he's not sort of uh, 
he's he's not fucking uh you know the the, the rock and roll express but like he is clearly like the <laughs> crowd favorite and he is resting from i guess he's the one timing his comebacks in the way that baby faces do so that's and that's that's not a dynamic that you really get certainly in the opener which felt like like enjoyably messy and random in terms of its structure that it was very much back and forth uh you know in a very sort of rapid fire um uh, uh way but um yeah this match certainly i think its pacing is quite different to that and so that maybe accounts for it david what were you gonna say liger was working the match around sano and sano was kind of accentuating it so for example as i said like sano had his number so liger was going for all of his spots and Sano was reversing them. It was more of that. It's more hmm. Sano in the frustrating role than, say, yeah. for example, the Liger. I mean, that's not to say Sano was, you know, sitting in his ass doing nothing. He wasn't, he, you know, Keiji Muto or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get to Keiji Muto. Hey, hey, don't you fucking we'll, worry. We'll get, we'll get to guys sitting on their ass doing nothing. Just in the, in the, <laughs> yes, but, uh, you know, like, he, put, he, he put his weight. But, I, yeah, I, I can see what you mean. It's definitely seemed like, especially because, you know, it's a UWFI against New Japan. It was a new... Uh, Liger was was working the New Japan style week in week out, whereas Sano wasn't. Obviously, had experience, but I definitely felt like it was based around Liger with Sano kind of bouncing off Liger and adding uh, adding into the match. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So at the end of this match, I mean, for all that we uh, have moaned and are moaning and are about to moan about the uh, the booking of this feud vis-a-vis the relative kayfabe power levels of the two forces, Sano does get a uh, decisive win here. His does his jumping back kick, a release dragon suplex, and uh, wins uh, gets the one two three uh, tiger suplex bridging one, and uh, that that gets him the win. Do you think that maybe they were happy that they were, you know, New Japan was happier to give UWFI the win in this match precisely because of the way it was presented and the fact that it wasn't this um, kind of uh, challenge to, to to strong style. It wasn't um, shoot style being able to get one over. That's, on that's a really good so point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, I definitely think as well, obviously, Sano... You know, he's watching New Japan. He would have some mates. Like, he is a more relatable figure for New Japan than, say, for example, Takeda yeah. or, yeah, like, um, part of, like Takayama or something like that. Like, people who had it, who weren't established. Like, he had worked for New Japan in the past. I think they maybe felt that this was more of a retur- returning, you know, superstar yeah. Naoki Sano as opposed to. Um, you know, UWFI invade on Naoki Sano. I definitely feel like they were far more comfortable giving him a bit more of the, of the rub, just because he was a New Japan guy at one point. He could work the style, and it wasn't going to be you know shoot style overtaking. Yeah, that's 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 another great point yeah. actually. So um, with that in mind, that um, takes us to um, to all. So things are level pegging. You know, it's all to play for in this eight match series. Yeah. And no, no tap out, no submission. I was fucking yeah, delighted yeah, about no. it. And and now <laughs> yeah. things are about to take something of a turn. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! Oh. I just <laughs> oh, right. So the next match, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to welcome you back <laughs> to the ongoing saga of of our boy, our very own, the, possibly the world's least fortunate. <laughs> Uh, uh, wrestler, the wrestler that probably gives the least amount of forethought to just about anything he does, bless him. Yeah, Yay! but it's still a wrestling <laughs> For those who would like to sort of um, uh, go back and really get a bit more background uh, about um, the kind of um, 
the the, the, the catalogue of errors. The human manifestation of, of yeah of the, yeah the human manifestation of a mistake that is Yoji Anjo. Um, you can um, that was a bit harsh. I mean, I wasn't going to say you could have been aborted or anything. You know, like fucking uh, like, um, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So, if you'd like to hear about how Yoji Anjo was nearly aborted, go and listen to our previous episode in which he decides to travel to Hicks and Gracie's gym yeah. and challenge him to a fight. Um, so yeah, um, you can check that out uh, in the previous episode. But here he is now. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, <laughs> hey, it's a, it's plain sailing for the Jews now, right? Uh, I say, is that manner? No, it's um, it's not manner. It's fucking Ricky Choshu <laughs> hoving over the horizon <laughs> with a look of murder in his oh. eye and a song in his heart. Can I can I yeah. repeat my favourite phrase I've ever written down in my life? Yes. About this ma- about this match about just in general just like for a school and university I've never written anything that I found as funny as this. Choshu looks aggrieved as if he had booked annual leave so that he and his wife could go for a romantic dinner, but it's been rejected because Yoji Andro needs a match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, 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 Yoji, could you stay behind and work another half an hour? Oh, boss, I've kind of been here for 12 already. I'll get a takeaway take pizza for us. topping. <laughs> I know you've worked a 66 hour a week at Yoji, but can I put you down for some overtime on Sunday? <laughs> I, I love that like we were talking yeah, about our different yeah. life experiences you two have like those are clearly rooted in like things you guys have experienced in real life all too Where, fucking as, real like, <laughs> basically for god god yes you know, i recently started a new job but for about four years before that you know, the biggest problem i had at work was am i going to change out of my pajamas to write this section of my phd thesis or not <laughs> Oh, you lucky yeah. bastard. So, like, fucking southerners. I'm from, I'm from the Midlands, you cheeky shit. It's the same fucking thing. <laughs> Be that as it may. You have a sign that says the north this way. George, George, I was going to say, George, you have to remember that, that, that Yeah, that is true. I'm from the fucking south. <laughs> like, okay, so this match, um, uh, anyway, yeah, it yeah, is. So, um, there's a bit of an extra frisson. Um, I don't know if we've mentioned this. Um... It is Booker versus Booker, but only one Booker's booking. Oh. Yeah. How will this turn how out? Will this, uh, well, before we find out how this turned out, uh, we've got a little video, which you can uh, see before the match on the New Japan World uh, video of this. And uh, Enoki-san is uh, talking to the commentator, and beside him is his longtime rival from the 80s, Masa Saito, who might be best known to our American listeners for doing two years bird in the US for teaming up with Ken Patera in the very noble cause of chucking a boulder through the window of a Mackie D's because he was hungry. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's one of the all-time <laughs> legendary uh, pro wrestlers have being just terribly behaved human stories. You may also know uh, him from New Year's Dash where he teamed up with Team 2000 and Cheeseburger against... No, that's, 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 uh, that? that's Hero Saito. You of get course! Ah... No, Ma- Ma- no Masa Saito's uh, uh, really, really not very well at the moment, actually. Oh, is that is that the one that Lesnar yeah, went to visit? Yeah, because Lesnar, basically, the reason that yes. used to happen yeah. is because uh, yeah, Bob Glazer wanted to go to Japan because he was friends with Masa Saito when he heard he, he wasn't very well. So, you know, thoughts go out to him. He was a fantastic wrestler in his time. Um, the, these two... Yeah, yeah sorry. Definitely. No, I, I, I was just going to say, don't don't worry about that, David, because I always get the side toes mixed up as well. Like, uh, and pretty much a lot of people I know that, that are really into wrestling have real trouble. Um, side toes like side toes like Joe. Yeah, it's, Japan, uh, it's a pretty common. Um, 
But uh, these two have uh, click Inoki and Saito chatting together at the comedy desk. Clearly have patched things up since the Gamu Jima Island death match. And um, <laughs> while while we're here, can I just say I would like to place a moratorium on us ever reviewing the Gamu Jima Island death match because I know David, you would be all over that monstrosity. <laughs> I was literally just about to say we're going to review it. Literally just about to say. Although one yeah. thing I feel that you are you are missing out the most important member of the commentary team, uh, Mr. Shaky Handsman. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> me, I remember that. <laughs> oh, that guy. Oh man, like uh, yeah, just, just just hovering there, like 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 a particularly kind of nefarious dragonfly. Um. But, um, can, can, can I just point out that um, yeah. uh, you know that you know that death match, right? I honestly feel like that death match is kind of the equivalent of watching like a seven-hour Bella Tar <laughs> film. Like it's like you're you're you'll just be you, you, you're watching and all of a sudden you're like, I've been watching this horse have it have have it stable cleaned for like forty <laughs> minutes, and I don't want to get up and leave the I don't want to get up and leave the cinema because like I mean it is really good and I understand that it that it's great art. But, like, I am a bit drunk, and, like, I kind of want to be out of you here can, before... You can imagine like, fucking you know, the uh, Bellatar in, like, in uh... the ring, about to wrestle. He's feuding with Chris Jericho in the lead-up to Mania. And the ring announcer, she does her announcement, and he takes issue with it and just goes, It's Satan Tango. <laughs> Oh, that is easily the most the, oh, the most God, obscure right, joke I've ever made, possibly in my life. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I I just like to give a shout out to our 500 new listeners. Hey, I mentioned I mentioned fucking uh, Kurt Lanner. Yeah, before you were right? So, <laughs> and they love leaving and renting, so you know. <laughs> oh, that's. That that that's true. That combined with our numerous references to Irish republicanism should be enough to alienate enough people already. So we'd probably have a thousand listeners if it wasn't for this shit. But... I think we should be more concerned with actually elaborating what the Gamuyajima Island death match was for uh, people unaware of that. So basically, it, the oh, whole thing God. is on YouTube. Yeah. Someone uploaded the whole thing. It's like an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. And the and the rest. Yeah. yeah. Enoki and Saito fought on an island for upwards of two hours. Um, it's. <laughs> Have you, have, you, have, you, have you guys I'd seen rather, it? I'd rather I've seen highlights. I, I, I've seen it all. Where are you <laughs> like, <right? laughs> like, It was absolutely horrendous. Like, no, no, I, I, I wasn't wrecked. I was, uh, I, I was filming a taxi turn. Um, like, uh, I think it was like a couple of years ago. So I was like um, technically yeah. self-employed for a little bit there during that time. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I had to do the tax return for that period. And I was, you know, you, you just put something on in the background. Well, I'm curious, this is on. the sort of thing I would do when I'm tidying up the house or like doing like washings. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. So to the match. Uh, anyway. Um, yes. Um, so tangent number so 18. So to the match. My first um, note on this just says, fucking heat for Anjo. Choshu is solid as fuck. And uh, and that, that really, we could just skip on to the next match because that really is the story of it. This is, I think, on a, on a show and indeed a, a feud characterised by New Japan wrestlers making UWFI guys look a bit rubbish. This one is, this one takes the cake, really. This is... I'll, yeah. I'll go... I'll, t- I'll handle play-by-play on this one, right? Because I have notes, right? So my play-by-play for this was Andrew's zebra tights are incredible. No selling abounds. Mm. Headbutts abound. 
Chosha is 44, Anjo is 25, you can tell. Chosha <laughs> um, beats the piss out of Anjo and has no concern for his well-being. Post-match press conference, Chosha simply does not want to be there. That's yeah, fair enough. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's 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 important for us to point out that um, uh, that might seem like an exaggeration. It's not, really not. Just said, but it's really fucking not because this actually stand. I, I think it, in the all-time um, great no-selling uh, performances, um, uh, and we're not talking about you know. Um, Undertaker-style no-selling here. We're not talking about the the, the the impenetrable, you know, immovable object, rather, monster-type type no-selling. We're talking about just straight-up, bitchy, unprofessional no-selling to prove a point, right? This this is, I'd say, second tier with maybe the likes of Brody yeah. in the cage at the very, very top. And, and th- but this is really... If I ran the Louvre, room. right? the art gallery of the Louvre, I would have a room dedicated to two screens with this and that Junaki Amaliona <laughs> match just playing on a constant loop forever because yeah. it is some renaissance level art going on. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, so, sorry, uh, crown of Louis the Fifteenth. Sorry, winged victory of Samothrace. You're out on your ass. <laughs> we got to get these salty old men beating the fuck out of young boys. <laughs> Jesus Christ yeah what I've got it says Anjo basically starts does some knees and forearms he may as well have not bothered Choshu sells fuck all and even manages to no sell Anjo shooting for a takedown by simply moving out of the way now the thing is we I think we have to sort of maybe get a, a glimpse into the twisted mind of one Richard Choshu um <laughs> it, in the, okay, why does he do this? You know, firstly, he's being a bit of a cunt. Secondly, the crowd really, really, really wants him to beat the piss out of Anjo, which is what delivers them. Because let's not forget, we talked about this in episode four. Yoji Anjo literally let down the entire country. <laughs> he is one of the most hated men in Japan at this moment. And he is the Tim Henman of feudal. Yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. hell. Like, like huge reactions when Choshu just starts forearming the shit out of uh, Anjo in the corner. They really want to see him just get destroyed. I mean, Choshu, he, he, he sells a bit when Anjo gets him in a knee bar and he, Anjo, he tries a tendon hold uh, countering the, uh, the scorpion deathlock. But, uh, I mean, fucking hell. Like, I think I've got nothing apart from, let's just cut to the finish, Jesus. Like, um... Back, back dropping a, a really hard lariat yeah. um, and a, a Scorpion Deathlock to finish. If, I mean, um, you'll know that as Sting's finishing move and also the sharpshooter as Bret Hart called. It's the same move. Uh, Choshu was actually the one who, I believe he's the one who invented it. And it is known as the Sasori Katame in uh, Japan, which literally means Scorpion yeah. Hold. Um, Anjo taps out. Yeah. Can you fucking believe it? Do you mean to tell me that you do a fire wrestler? If online betting was legalised in 1995 for the Tokyo Dome show, I'd have been putting all fucking submission finishes down for my bets because overall, even more so than Toshio being an absolute wank in this match, right? The the fucking tap-out nonsense. I I will never get over it. Um, it, It's just... I mean... Fuck off. I mean, see, <laughs> just, 
Just fuck off. I think it's. I think it, it, it begins to when it's when it's sort of so accumulative, it begins to become kind of um really obvious what 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 the game yeah. is here. Um, and I I remember sort of I think maybe. I'd say when I was maybe just first getting into Japanese wrestling and finding out about it, and this feud was kind of um, bigged up as a really big deal before I'd really watched watched a lot of the matches. Um, and I remember uh, you'd read about uh, you'd read about sort of retrospectives on it in, in, in sort of the magazines that kept kayfabe and stuff, like you know the kind of after mags and things that you'd get shipped over uh, to shops and things like that. Um, and it kind of retrospectively mentioned things about how, you know, this was this great feud and it was like, uh, it, it, it did great business. And in your, in my head, I always thought, God, this must've been so hotly contested and like, you know, so, and, it, and it, at this point in the show, it really isn't. And I think that it really does sort of, um, especially at this point, this is the peak of it. It really is like sort of popping a, a balloon, you know, it, it just dissipating all that, uh, that, that tension that could have been built up. And at this point, I begin to kind of think, well, you can see how this is going. You know, it becomes, it seems yeah. very obvious. So at this at this point, I was kind of thinking, I need something to to save this show. Yeah, again, well, you know? you, you're not going to get it. <laughs> so, yeah, no, also significantly God, no. is that um, Anjo taps to a hold which is not used in UWFI because they didn't use holds that you wouldn't be able to do in a shoot. And that again, yeah. that's going to be important later for reasons that we're going to get into. Uh, at this press conference, as you said, yeah. David, like Cho shoes. He's uh, thinking, okay, God, I don't want to be here. Um, you, you see him wiping himself down after the match. I'm not sure why. He didn't break a sweat. It was like quite a lethargic no. five minutes. Um, and like what you said about this being being a, a waste, really. Basically, Choshu was not only quite cool, really, in the way that he just buried this uh, poor bloke. He was also quite lazy yeah. doing it because now Choshu is known for... His wrestling is like much more like punch kick sort of stuff. Like it's quite fast paced. Com- uh, he was always known for the fast pace of his matches. There's a- there's actually in Japan there's actually a name that Japanese fans use for that. Um, he was actually noted by Japanese fans as heralding a, a new kind of style that was a lot more um, sort of uh, a pared down, but also quite fast paced. Yeah. And and uh, the perfect examples of that would be the ma- the great matches that you have with uh, Fujinami. Um, yeah, um, in, in, absolutely. In the the yeah, they call it Choshuism. And um, and yeah, yeah when yeah. he went to all Japan, um, you know, he really held it a sea change in the way that matches were worked there. The pace really ramped up from what it had been. Um, so when you think of Choshuism, you think of uh, punches, kicks, fast pace. But Choshu was fully capable of doing a good shoot star match. He actually um, wrestled on the South Korea's Olympic wrestling team at the 1972 Munich Olympics. So he knew his oh, he knew yeah. his amateur I mean, stuff. The guy the guy knows his way. He could really yeah. do that, yeah. but Absolutely. instead he chose not to. And there was a great point that uh, when we first recorded this, uh, David made, and I'll just just recount this uh, conversation if I may. Uh, David just asked me how, how long did that match last, and I said oh, about four and a half minutes, I guess. And David was like, "So you mean to tell me that Choshu has booked himself to beat Yojianjo in a shorter amount of time than it took Hicks and Gracie?" <laughs> 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 and it's true, he did. The sheer oh, fucking nerve yeah, of the man. Yeah. Look, look at me look at me in the eyes, both of you, because we were on webcams. If you had the opportunity to rattle Yoji Andrew like this, you'd have fucking done it on less time than Hickson as well. Yes. <laughs> that yeah, that is that is true. Like, um yeah, Choshu, like the 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 thing is I really wanna I think I think I think we will do um later is 
the, there's another match of his coming up in this feud, and you know we we have been a bit down on uh, on Choshu, so like um, I think we are gonna like do some of his like real classic stuff at some time in the future, just to like oh. wash the taste yeah. of this of this of this hell out of our mouth. Speaking of hell, our next yes. match. Yeah. <laughs> Kensuke Sasaki, uh, back from episode three, along with his greasy, greasy mullet, representing New Japan Pro Wrestling mm-hmm. versus uh, Masahito Kakahara of UWFI. Now, before we go into this match, we should note um, Sasaki was a protege of one Ricky Choshu, and his senpai... <laughs> sorry, George. I'm sorry, but I thought you were going to say Sasaki was a protestant. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I kind of, I, I kind of thought that's what you'd said, so I, I kind of sorry. Like I did think it was weird, cause, cause like his entrance theme is a power metal version of King Billy. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you, have you not, have you not seen that? Um, is it? I can't remember what show it is in New Japan Worlds, where all the roster sing the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> And then, like, near the end, all of them just sit down apart from Sasuke, and he continues for an extra verse. <laughs> no! What, what is this that, fucking Cliff incredible. Richard Christmas number one shit? No, I, I, I fucking wish it was. I'm just making that up. Oh, but damn he, it. He's a Protestant. He's a total The thing Protestant. is, I believe it, because you. I've seen a video of the 80s All Japan yeah. roster reenacting scenes from Rose of Versailles. Yeah. And, like, fucking Kawada in drag. <laughs> anyway, um... <laughs> So, he doesn't have the teeth for drag, that's all <laughs> Now, at the outset, before we get into this match, I would like to uh, make clear that Ricky Choshu clearly taught him things uh, about selling for UWFI guys, which is very nicely illustrated at the start of this match, when Kakahara does about a billion palm strikes with very little effect, and then um, falls on his ass, backing away when Sasaki moves towards him. It's like, you've bumped for nothing! You've bumped for thin air. Yeah. And then Sasaki's first actual um, strike knocks him down. So from that, you can see, like, oh, right, it's another one of those. Maybe not as egregious a domination as uh, Choshu was just affected. But, you know, it's it's of that ilk. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, what, one of the things that I was going to... Uh, that, that I, I, I took down in my notes, and I think maybe... <laughs> I might I might have taken these notes when I was made having having a slightly low mood. Um, I kind of when I was watching it at the time, and I might need to rewatch this. I like so, uh, a lot of the Kakahara that I've seen, but in this match, I felt like he was kind of uh, cosplaying or coming across as kind of a poor man's Tamora in place. I I don't know if that's uh, if that's a fair comment, but I kind of felt like there were spots in there, and, and there were th- th- those kind of palm strike things and some of the other strikes that he did where I kind of felt like he didn't seem entirely sure about about when was a good time to time them, when was a good time to sort of, um, you know, bring them heavily and maybe leave off them. I kind of felt like some of the stuff he did kind of took me out of this, but I don't know if that's something that you guys... I, th- I think thought. it is a fair point. Like, I think part of the problem is that um, that really does affect this match because when he is like quite unsure when to time his palm strikes on offense, he doesn't get a lot of fucking opportunities to actually uh, be on offense. So th- that yeah, really that's... doesn't help. Um, Sasaki, at least like apart, um, you know, unlike Choshu, like actually like does some stuff. Um, there's a really <laughs> like amazingly good uh, deadlift power slam, which he does countering uh, a kick and a uh, really big pop for the uh, power strangle, which is his, um, submission finish again um making the point that in this on this show pro wrestling submissions are more over than shoot style ones um if you look later in the yeah. match at uh, kakihara locks in a triangle triangle choke 
and the, the crowd pops, but only when it looks like Sasaki's about to do the fucking you know, powerbomb counter to every single triangle choke in the history of pro wrestling, except when done by the best yeah. pure striker in the WWE gets counted with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, trademark, yeah. I think maybe that... Um, um, so, sorry, I, I jump in here again, David. I, I know I'm, I'm hogging the conversation a bit, but it's just coming to my head. I think maybe this has something to do with the fact that... It, it, if this was out taking place now um, and someone goes and, and locks in the, um, the the triangle, most people that have watched pro wrestling know what a triangle is, right? Most people probably that are watching wrestling have maybe seen a little bit of MMA or maybe understand uh, w- w- what's happening there. Um, here, as you say, it's only really when it looks as if there's a real bit of uh, you know peril uh, uh, happening in, in, in the move that, that, that the crowd begins to react. When it, it first gets locked in, I'm not entirely sure that all of the New Japan fans are down with understanding some of these submissions. And that's something we touched on in, in the previous podcast as well. Yeah. Um, this, um, to his credit, Sasaki does get down and dirty with the mat work. If not, he's not exactly inclined to sell it. I don't, I don't think Joshu left his feet in, uh, no. in the previous match. But um, yeah, as if to underline it, at one point he... Uh, Sasaki just drops onto his back and lets Kakahara get the dominant position on him. And at other points, yeah. he lets him out of submissions and stands him back. It was just a bit of a dick move, really. Like, as if it's yeah. like a fucking bear playing with his food. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's there's definitely another sense in this match, I think, of, of shoot style being made to look a little bit silly. Yeah, it absolutely um... is. <laughs> You know, it's one, um... one thing I'd like to note about this match. Um, I lost my notes for it. However, I can remember that I really enjoy Kensuke Sasaki's Krypton Factor tights. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were an outstanding highlight of the match, and literally the only thing I could be asked to remember. Brilliant. That's oh, Jesus. I mean, the um, yeah, the um, he, <laughs> Sasaki also no sells an attempted takedown, just falls on top of Kakahara. <laughs> I, I I love that because at first I thought it was it was it was maybe kind of just a botch or a bit of a miscommunication, but I'm pretty sure he was just being an asshole. Yeah, actually. I'm sure he was. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of you know that episode of Futurama where Bender becomes an ultimate robot fighter, and um, <laughs> yeah. he he fights this fifty uh, foot tall robot called Destructor, and it turns out Destructor is being controlled by a man underneath the ring, and so uh, Leela yeah. goes and knocks the guy out. And uh, Bender's like, yeah, and then Destructor just falls on him and the ref counts one, two, three. <laughs> like, Very much from my wife's philosophy on wrestling and that my wife believes that nobody can beat the Big Show. And that if this was a real <laughs> sport, the Big Show would literally just sit on yeah. him and win every single match <laughs> and reign as champion for about 15 she years. She is right. His finisher would just be a side headlock takeover. Yeah, yeah. Like she's not necessarily wrong there, you know. Like there's a, there's a reason that they have weight classes in real fighting, like you know. Yeah, like, yes. Like, put it, put it. I did way. like the suggestion of WWE setting up 405 live. <laughs> <laughs> they should do that, man. We've been through this already, but when we start our uh, fat blob fighting promotion in Moscow under the <laughs> under the auspices of our of our dear leader Vladimir Putin, uh, everything's gonna be okay. We're gonna we're gonna fix wrestling. Yeah. Um... Make wrestling great again. <laughs> make, 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 make make wrestlers fat again. Uh, Kevin Owens is serious. He's not fat. No, no. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There is a type of fat 
which is intimidating. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and then there's a type of fat which is just like normal guy fat, right? Yeah. Like ha, 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 has a belly, right? Yeah. You know, like. Yeah, because Kevin Owens is like picked last at football fat, right? Yeah. Before yeah. maybe the people on crutches yeah. and the people who are like blind. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have people who are like you know have to be winched out of their house. <laughs> That's the fat people that I like. So Kevin Owens isn't that. You, you, you just <laughs> people who have Channel Five documentaries about them. That's how I want fighting in Ryzen, right? Yeah. You just know there's Absolutely. a fucking like deviant art Photoshop page called "Make Wrestlers Fat Again." It's just loads of fucking like uh, feederist morphs. That definitely yeah, exists. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. of it. Have you ever seen the deviant art of um, Big Daddy V? Oh, oh god. my god! There's a bit of deviant art of Big Daddy V on before the Elimination Chamber match. When I was at home, Undertaker, Batista, the one where Undertaker and Batista ran through everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in like five minutes and he just patched her. Well, there's a, a deviant art of <laughs> of Big Daddy V inside the Elimination Chamber and it's like his head and arms and flabs sticking out Jesus from out of the bars. It has enveloped the entire chamber. Oh my God. <laughs> I wish I could find it so much. Oh, yeah, it's like, I'm so, sorry, Ash, for the new logo. Uh, love the new logo, yeah. but like, we found a replacement. Yeah. We should we should point out at this juncture that when when we talk about um uh bigger people in wrestling we are not taking no not at all like we 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 seriously want there to be a diversity of bodies in wrestling because that's what we like yeah I think um, we've been over this before it's like um Chris yeah. Hero's like si- like since he started eating like a load of pies again like he he's he's fucking amazing and and similarly yeah. having someone like uh someone like Nia Jax in um, the women's yeah. division in WWE really makes for not just like a, a, a you know a good role model but also you know you can do very different things with the size differential yeah you know, her matches yeah. are always entertaining exactly. because of that yeah I mean I voted for Ryota Hama versus Okabayashi oh. that was my number five in my match of the year list for uh, Voices yeah. of Wrestling that's a great and match put, the, the blueprint for all fat blob matches it yeah, really should comment. be but I mean you know as I've said, like, you know, Nia Jax's matches are great because of the size differential. Not every size differential yeah. match is great, which brings us back to Kensuke Sasaki versus sure. Masahito Kakahara. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean, um, yeah. Yeah. S- S- Sasaki, um, yeah, as we've said, he really does dominate. He doesn't give Kakahara much. He does at least turtle up at palm strikes, and he has the grace to look like a sleeper hold might be hurting him a bit. Um, my favourite part is when his uh, nose gets blooded, off of palm strikes, like Jesus Christ, the most selling in this match is involuntary. It's like yeah. his own body is rebelling against <laughs> yeah. him. His 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 blood is just like I'm gonna get this angle over if you're not, mate. <laughs> he he just pushed. Oh, he really did. It was fucking, it was a lot it was of fucking it. horrible. Yeah, um, there's it. a pretty good out of nowhere yeah. finish in this. Um, Kakahara rolls an attempted German suplex into a a grapevine ankle lock, and uh, then he transitions it into a heel hook. Sasaki does fucking sell it, and then he um, submits. Uh, the bell only rings after the ref gets him to let go of the hold, which is all uh, a bit confusing, and probably some sort of, like, the ref being paid off by Ricky Choshu to intentionally make UWFI's wind more underwhelming than the New Japan was... But George, but George, pray tell, did, did Sasaki tap? Do you, do you know if he tapped at all? Um, because... I, I, I don't think he did. It's, it's just a little inkling in the back of my mind that Sasaki did not tap out. But in fact, I'm not even an inkling. I fucking know he didn't, right? He didn't even, he didn't even say that he quit or that he submitted or anything. Literally, the referee just went, right, game's a bogey. 
That said, he, he God, didn't even say that he quit. He, just rang he didn't the even do the um the fucking Bob Backlund like Rah! yeah he quits he quits from uh, yeah I quit, yeah. quit match yeah. with Bret Hart. Um, yeah. that's yeah, yeah it's, so that ties it up as three all. But really, it's it's one of these things where in this we're now midway through a run of matches with like big New Japan heavyweights against smaller UWFI um, shoot style workers, and this really is a story of the big guys are going over. Um, and you know, even if they even if they don't go over as in this match, they're still going over because they've basically made uh, Kakahara's win. It's put over his submission skills in a sense, but it's because you know he didn't have to work Sasaki over much to get the tap, uh, not the tap out to get the submission. But he uh, he's also like made it seem to be a bit of a fluke, you know. Yeah. I would equate this to um, nuts in the Robot War semi-final <laughs> against Carbides. Where um, Carvade had destroyed everything in its path, and um, Nuts, I believe, I, I can't remember what happened, but basically Carvade's blade stopped working. I think he maybe hit Nuts too much, and it just stopped working, <laughs> and Nuts took the advantage, it's, and gave him an oily nose. It's like the robot equivalent <laughs> of like um, Homer Simpson versus Boxcar Bob. Just like, just wave him to wear himself out. <laughs> Came yeah. up from the box, he's Tarzan. A, he's a hungry young robot. <laughs> That's probably what New Japan were saying about UWFI. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Also, I noticed yeah. at the end of this um, uh, match, uh, Takiyama's wearing a Jack Daniels logo parody shirt uh, 20 years before yes. every indie wrestler started doing it. Yeah, yeah. I I, 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 I was thinking that. I'd like one of those shirts, actually. They're pretty yeah, great. Yeah, no, I... Uh, but yeah, it's that, so much like old 90s poem yeah. merch, which you know they don't make anymore. And, like... I saw yeah. I saw a guy at uh, York Hall at the weekend for the Rev Pro show wearing this T-shirt, which was like a cartoon Misawa giving a forearm to a cartoon Kawada, and I nearly ripped it off him and disappeared into the night. <laughs> um, yeah, like I think I think the uh, the 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 other thing that I was um I I was going to mention here is that uh yeah in terms of um kind of uh, what we've been looking at so far. We've been looking at uh, really two matches in a row that kind of have, um, you know, that then you know, this one isn't quite as extreme as the Joshi one, but we've both been looking at two matches where there's kind of bigger, bigger guys, big, powerful guys, um, kind of hammering away, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, smaller, relatively pluckier guys, okay? Um, and uh, if you think that that's about to, that we're going to have a gear shift before the main event, well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, uh, but uh, we are going to have another match oh, next. Jesus <laughs> Christ! Yeah, it's it's so <laughs> fucking rage-inducing, like it's it's ridiculous. Which is why I'd like to take this juncture to sort of um, remind everyone that there were some great things in uh, '90s New Japan, and that uh, you know Kenzuke Sasaki is not a man to be reviled. Um, so I'm gonna. Especially if you're a dojo trainee. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He did kill a man, but apart from that, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> Let's get that. this with like a volley of allegedly. I, I, I'm pretty sure we don't even have to do allegedly on that one, do we? I, I, I know, but just to, to make it sure. Just to cover <laughs> yeah, or at okay. least to cover right, mine. Yeah, because you might not as soon as, but you might yeah. get us in for a grappling session, and oh, I'm, not, I'm not fucking up for yeah. that. Yeah. So, no, um, no, a story no, about no. Kensuke Sasaki, which I, I would like to tell. Um, Kensuke Sasaki um, is a pretty well known guy in, uh, in Japan, and uh, his uh, wife was a wrestler called Akira Hokuto. Uh, who is, uh, for my money, one of oh. the greatest wrestlers of all time, not just in terms of women's wrestling, yeah. but just in terms of wrestlers of any gender. Like One of 
one of mine too. Uh, we'll do an entire episode on 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 the. Yeah, community. absolutely. Like she she's fantastic, but the circumstances of their getting together were like <laughs> somewhat bizarre. They um got engaged the day after meeting each other in Pyongyang. <laughs> Who doesn't? And, and, yeah. yeah, exactly. And they were there. Because... They were there because Antonio Inoki had um, he was staging a wrestling show um, in Pyongyang, featuring New Japan wrestlers and WCW wrestlers. Um, for it was to to part of it was to honor Ricky Dozan, um, his uh, his mentor and you know the father of wrestling in Japan, who as I think I m- might have mentioned previously, spoilers for my uh, upcoming novel, which is definitely getting finished this year, I swear to God. Um, Ricky Dozan was actually <laughs> born in North Korea, and so this is Anoki's way of honoring him. I also recently found out I recently finished um, uh, North Korea Past and Future by uh, Victor Cha, which is a uh, history book about uh, North Korea, and apparently Inoki yeah. also got paid $15 million by the uh, Korean Workers' Party, so they might, might have had something to do with the fact that he was willing to stage yeah. the show, but be that as it may. It's, it's it's not as if the Korean Workers' Party has anything else they need to spend money on. No, 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 not in 1995. <laughs> like, everything was fucking hunky-dory. <laughs> but... <laughs> like, I don't know. Feeding people. Yeah, like, I, mean, yeah, I mean, we could like, shore up the public distribution system, but uh, nah. <laughs> Didn't they try to pay Hogan? To oh go? yeah, but Hogan had no. I'm pretty sure he was like... they invited Hogan, and Hogan turned it down because he's a scam. <laughs> Yeah, Hogan didn't want to go to North Korea much, but I think more than that, did not want to put Inoki over. So, um, <laughs> so he's been happy to do to to put over, to make promos about the great leader, but, but yeah. not put anybody yeah, over. Madness, and but probably the weirdest part of this stuff was that yeah, Sasaki and Hokuto uh, got together, um, uh, and apparently yeah, so got together a day after. Um, meeting each other. You can probably fill in the blanks, but I'm going to do it for you. Um, apparently, uh, kept up everyone else on their floor at the uh, the hotel they were staying at in Pyongyang with very, very, very loud shagging. Um, I, I actually imagine that, um, you know, I think fucking Kensuke Sasaki would be... I think you'd shag him for the same reasons that you'd you'd book him. You know, you wanted to fuck Kenta Kabashi, but he's not available. So you want something that's like shagging Kenta Kabashi, but not quite as good. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, I, I do remember. I remember reading an Observer from around about a time. I do seem to remember the Metal Circuit of the Sex Tape four, four and three quarters. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, it wasn't in the Tokyo Dome, so I couldn't yeah, give it the full no, five. No. Of course, this was in the um, the halcyon mists of time, in a in a time before Trump and before six. Yeah, five star. <laughs> we didn't yeah. know we were born. Yeah. I barely was, to be fair. No, no, no. yeah. I mean yeah. the uh, and yeah, the thing actually, this this is quite sweet. Um, they actually um adopted each other's finishing moves after getting together. Hokuto yeah. started doing the power strangle, and Sasaki started doing Hokuto's finish of the Northern Lights bomb. Hokuto did both moves better than him. <laughs> Definitely. I don't know why, but when you said this is quite sweet, I expected you to say Kensuke Saki killed a man. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly, David. Allegedly, we've been Allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike those who are desperate businessmen that run Japanese yeah, yeah, wrestling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, so, um, moving on before those legitimate businessmen get, get, do some legitimate business on us, the next match. <laughs> So so far so far in this episode we've we, we've annoyed unreconstructed anti-revisionist um, uh, um, Marxist Leninists and Ian Duncan also, Smith uh, Ian Duncan Smith uh, 
Protestants and, and loyalists in general. And, and poorly Republicans as well. <laughs> and, and Republicans by appropriating their, their culture. Um, <laughs> I think that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good hit list so far. I, I, I think, think so. Let's, see, let's uh, see who else we can offend before the end. Um, so... <laughs> Oh, um, pro- pro- probably like large people. Oh no, no, we no. I, 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 know, I will defend us on this. We put over fat people. Yeah, That's true. We, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. We put them over big. So, um, next match. Yeah, uh, yeah. Speaking of fat people, here we go. Here's one of the best fat men of all time in wrestling. <laughs> um, yeah, Absolutely. let's let's have a talk about him. So, our next match, um, with the Please. score tied at three all, is um Shinya Hashimoto representing New Japan mm-hmm. versus Tatsuo Nakano. Of uh, UWFI. Now, Daniel, tell everyone how much you love Shinya Hashimoto. Oh God, uh, yeah, I love Hash so much, and um, I can't. I think the kind of the reason that I, I love him so much is because when when I first got into Japanese wrestling, um, you obviously heard the the four pillars spoken of in the most hallowed tones, and rightly so. Um, but really, I remember kind of um knowing that that New Japan was a thing, and um, only kind of later on, hearing about the Three Musketeers, um, you know, uh, Chono, uh, 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 Hashimoto, um, and, um, and Muto, and kind of being a little bit uh, slow to check them out when I was younger, um, just because I kind of thought, well, they're never going to be able to compare with Japan and King's Road being you know, this ultra-dramatic, kind of um, incredibly, um, you know, intense style, and uh, I remember being kind of disappointed when I first checked out, you know, Chono and Muto, who to this day are two guys that I think, other than a couple of periods in their career, um, are, are for me quite overrated wrestlers. Um, and it was Hashimoto, uh, the guy who looked really the least, uh, you know, um, athletic, the guy who um, famously um, uh, smoked uh, like a like a fucking chimney, uh, drank a lot. Um, this hilarious. A man's man. A man's man. There's hilarious footage of Vader of all fucking people on YouTube saying that um, you know Hashimoto he didn't respect Hashimoto because he smoked cigarettes and he wasn't in shape. I mean, <laughs> but that's Vader um, saying that. You know, like, Vader, man. You know, look, look, you know, and you know. So if Vader, of all people, Vader should have been able to see a guy who was big but was really athletic. Well, Vader's really got good. previous for this because uh, he know, was having a go at Will Ospreay and Ricochet for like doing too many flips in the match. This was a 400 pound man who did a moonsault in the fucking early 90s. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, 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 you know, I kind of tend to come down more on Vader's side. Oh, of the I, argument oh, oh that, I know but, you do. But I, I, I'm, um, I'm a prick. You, you've got a little Hashimoto um, in your house, haven't you? Ah, oh, I do because yeah, uh, George and, uh, and and Sarah, who um, is, uh, is 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 George's partner, and uh, who I believe is going to be on an episode. Oh yes, yes, she is at some time in the future. Uh, yeah, um, they very kindly ordered me for my birthday um, these three little kind of mini figurines uh, of uh, of three of my uh, of my favorite wrestlers. So they got uh, Tenaru, uh, Hashimoto, and Kawada, uh, which was just lovely. And yes, I- I'd like to put in a thing in a moment because I, I feel like I need to apologize to yourself because I too was going to send you a present, right? And I actually had this legitimate. Oh, I yeah, I had this legitimate question I asked my wife, where I said, "Can you send cans in the post?" <laughs> and she's like, "I don't think so." I mean, I've sent one can. I've sent one can before. I, I usually, when you sing a Secret Santa, I'd always put a can of Iron Brew and a bottle of butt pasta in. So it's feasible. But six cans of Stella. I and mean, then I was like, and then I was like, can I just order like an Asda delivery just to turn up at his door? Like, no, man, you need to, you need to book a time. I don't know what the fuck he's gonna be in. So yeah, you have some cans on your way at some point in the next six months. 
Um, oh, wow. But we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll figure out the logistics soon. So I want to yeah. profusely apologise. I'm not sending you some cans in the post. We, 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 we look after each other here on the Puri Puri podcast. You can actually go on this. There's an eBay store. Uh, I think it's called Sumo Shop or something like that. You can find it quite easily. And uh, the guy who runs it is a fellow in uh, Chiba, home of K-Dojo. And uh, he's got the most amazing mm. collection of classic Japanese wrestling figurines, or figurines of classic Japanese wrestlers. There's over 100 different wrestlers you can get types of. And um, you can get, like, Inoki in a suit, Inoki out of a suit, Barbara in a robe, Barbara out of a robe. Um, I, I got Daniel um, Hashimoto in his fucking entrance robe. I thought that was cooler than uh, him just in yeah, his uh, yeah. in his uh, no, parachute pants, and um, it, it it definitely is. And it's definitely the best. Like uh, not only that, he's got the world's biggest collection yeah. of um, Big Mouth Loud merch. You can uh, you can buy. Remember Big Mouth Loud? Oh, I remember. Oh yes, we 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 will we will be doing a show on Big Mouth Loud as well. Yeah, yeah we we definitely point. should. Um, but yeah, so um, but yeah, so. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just circle back to, to Hashimoto. So uh, for those of you who aren't um, uh, acquainted with Shinya Hashimoto, he is one of the uh, the three musketeers, which were uh, around at the same time as the, the four pillars. Um, and um, as I say, Chono um, and, and, and Muto, and we'll talk about Muto um, um, in a moment, two guys that have always disappointed me a little bit, I think, for a lot of their runs um, um, in wrestling. But Hashimoto is the shining star, the absolute um, kind of um, embodiment of everything that I actually like about the New Japan main event style during that time. This is a guy who, as I said, he looks like a bigger guy, big, huge chested guy, um, and really sort of, you know, um, looks like he wouldn't be in great shape. But my God, does this man know how to structure a amazing main event? I think, for my money, this guy has one of the best auras yes. in wrestling. When he walks down that mm. ramp, you know it's fucking on. He's got the, uh, the, the I think it's the fighting spirit on his, yeah, on his headband. Yeah, yeah the Tukon, um, the Tukon headband. Um, he, he's got his uh, big silky kind yeah. of kimono-y style, almost like a gi kind of uh, yeah. with a kimono style thing but, uh, as he comes out. This guy really, he was often talked about in the same breath as Kawada, yeah. who he's spoken about a lot in all Japan. It's another one of my all-time favorites. A similar kind of guy in some senses, known for very yeah. stiff strikes, especially kicks and forearms, but really, a, a really stiff kicker. A guy, An underrated guy on the mat as well. Um, you watch some matches that he has with guys like Hiroshi Hase, things like that. The guy can work a period on the mat as well before he starts throwing big bombs. But crucially, for me, this is a guy that knows exactly when to ramp things up and to take things to that real sort of heavy next level of a match where it just everything's on the line and crazy strikes are being thrown. And there's always this little bit of an element to me of, of the chaotic kind of in, in Hash yeah. Hashimoto matches as well, which yeah. I really like. Um, it's a nice alternative to the King's Road style where you feel like even though you're on the edge of your seat, it's it's all been kind of yeah. mapped out very methodically. Yeah, I do know I, I do know what you mean with that. I mean, what I would say, and we'll we'll talk about this uh, getting into the match is Hashimoto was uh, certainly I think the best wrestler of the of the three musketeers. One thing that oh, it's not even close. And it's this is by no means his fault. But one thing that counts against him is that he had basically taken on. We talked about this earlier in episode four. Um, and that Antonio Noki was the guy who would defend the company and the honor of. Uh, you know, the strong style pro wrestling against the shooters coming in after Inoki, uh, you know, semi-retired, having gone into his um, high level politics and embezzlement career. Um, <laughs> Hashimoto sort of got put into the Inoki role because he had this aura of being, as you said, the most legit 
Yeah, an aura of, of legitness, yeah. as uh, Walter Benjamin would say. <laughs> and um, so he often got um, put in, uh, you know, matches against shooters, a lot of whom, uh, and as we've said before with people like uh, Villain Rusker and Willie Williams, couldn't really work. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was a great wrestler, but, like, he couldn't carry a, a guy who literally didn't know what they were doing. So often these big matches he had, these big, uh, what they were called, different style fights, weren't very good, and in the vast majority of cases, it is his opponent's fault. However, here, um, Tatsuo Nakano of UWFI is an experienced uh, shoot-style wrestler. His um, match with uh, Masakatsu Funaki in uh, UWF Reborn in 1989 is probably my favourite shoot-style match ever. Mm, right, okay. It's well worth it's well worth a watch. It's only nine minutes yeah, long as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they pack so much energy and excitement yeah, into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've seen the match. It is a fantastic match. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I saw this on paper, and uh, I thought, okay, this will be good. And it, it's certainly better than... Uh, the last two matches. Yeah. Um, I also like to note that there's a decent mullet on uh, Nakano, if not as Anglo and as uh, Sasaki. <laughs> no, no. Um, it's, a, it's a deceptively good mullet. Yeah. One thing this really, and again, this brings home the point about the size differential, is that um, Nakano is a solidly built guy, mm-hmm. but he looks absolutely tiny compared to Hashimoto. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a ni- there is a nice story being told in that Nakano uh, excuse your favorite technique Daniel which is the leg kicks. Yeah. Um his strategy uh, in the initial going uh, revolves around that. Yeah. And um I always I love leg kicks. Yeah. Um if you look at the Takada Vader matches that uh, that happened in UWFI as well that's a great way to play off the size differential you know trying to be sort of like a little annoying gnat just yeah. uh, chipping away at your opponent until they lunge in and make a mistake. I thought the psychology of that was really good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always a big fan of, of when leg kicks are, are, are used to sort of embell the, the big beast as well. Um, yes. Because I mean, let's be honest, this is something which is legit within martial arts. Maybe not within the the size differential. No. You know, the, the first. It is in rising, mate. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I mean, the first time that um, Nak Moyes fought in the West against famous kickboxers, there's a particularly um, famous fight. I can never pronounce the Thai names properly, so I'm not even going to try. But it's a, a great uh, old Nak Moy against Rick Rufus, the, the famous the former Charlton Athletic centre back. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, against Richard Rufus, former England B team. Linvoy Primus is his second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, there's a there's a wonderful video on there. If anyone wants to check this out, uh, search for Lawrence Kenshin. He does strike breakdowns on YouTube. Uh, and it details how um, Nak Moyes really just confounded kickboxers with their leg kicks when they yeah. first started coming over. So it is something which, um, you know, isn't just a, a narrative device. It does have an air of legitness to it as well. Yeah, and... Particularly over in Japan, as we, because as we mentioned in episode four, it was something that Inoki had used to great effect in his uh, yeah. famous fiasco yeah. against uh, Muhammad Ali. Of course. Um, one spot I really liked early on in this match was um, there's a great spot where Nakano tries to give Hashimoto a German suplex, and Hashimoto tries to escape the waist lock. And he's at this for about a good 30 seconds, and then Nakano finally manages to execute the throw. I thought that was really well done in contrast to uh, basically what you get nowadays. Actually, there was a great match recently, which you can watch on Stardom World, actually, which was uh, Io Shirai versus Viper. Oh, I've still not seen that match yet. I'm, I'm going to watch it, though. It's it's fantastic. Again, there's another thing, like, great size difference. You have a smaller woman against a much bigger woman. Yeah. And it makes some really great action. And there's spots in this match where 
the psychology of it was built towards EO trying to give Viper a German suplex. Sure, yeah. And uh, and she actually does it, which is impressive because Viper's about two twenty, and EO's yeah, yeah, five foot one and like weighs fuck all. Yeah. So like, yeah, she's really really strong woman. But when she tried the Germans and failed, she basically try it once. They go, oh my back, ah shit, and then um and then go on to do something else. Whereas here, there's a sense of like there's a real struggle, and I, I really like that. It stands out as something very different to what you would see nowadays in sort of German suplex related uh, transitions. Absolutely. I think um, with this match, as we've just mentioned, there are very interesting things there stylistically and in the way that it's set up. Uh, sorry, in, in the way that it's uh, it, it, it's set out rather in terms of, um, you know, um, the narrative that they're trying to drive through the use of the kicks and uh, certain of, of the suplexes and things like that. Um, I would say, though, however, that for me, as someone who is a massive Hashimoto mark, it, it, is, it is disappointing, I think, this match. Yeah. It's fair to say. And I guess... I, I suppose what I was wondering was um, there are certain times when it's difficult to pinpoint exactly what it is that's disappointing about a match because I didn't expect this to be necessarily an all-time classic. I did maybe expect it to, it sounds weird given how we've just described it, but have a little bit more intensity in the stretch at the end. Yeah, I think so. Um, part of it's part of it's the weird crowd yeah, reaction as well, as I've yeah. said. Like, there's a bit where Nakano, he's going for a rear naked choke and they may as well just be circling yeah. each other. Yeah, it's... Odd. Like and it's it's not it's not the Tokyo Dome acoustics either because like when you hear them pop you, you the crowd when the crowd pop you can really hear it like there's an amazing pop when Hash gets in the mount and you know from that point on his strikes his his palm strikes and his kicks they get really big reactions as well what it's got in its favour particularly uh, in contrast with the last two matches is that Hashimoto is more giving to his opponent yeah. than Choshu and Sasaki yeah, absolutely. Um, Despite being a bigger guy, he's more giving. And what it put me in mind of, there's a quite well-known match in 1994, which is Hashimoto versus yeah. Liger. At the time, that's a really great match. At the time, Hashimoto is the uh, IWGP heavyweight champion and Liger is the IWGP junior heavyweight yeah. champion. And Hashimoto is very giving to Liger. It's pretty even in terms of offense. Now, you could say that Hashimoto had more of an incentive to you know give Liger some stuff in that match because he was a guy inside the company rather than an outsider. And also, he was the junior heavyweight champion and the junior heavyweights were quite prominently presented at the time. But still, I think it speaks to him that, like, despite the size differential, he's doing things like taking a really nasty DDT yeah. and uh, and stuff like that and actually asking, acting as though there is a risk that he might submit to a rear naked choke. He won't tap, though, but he might yeah, submit. Yeah, I mean, that's actually almost a criticism of some men like Hashimoto... I've even seen this as a criticism level that Vader in some of his matches. Yeah. Where sometimes I think um, there's a, a school of thought that, and I'm not really sure where I, where I sit on this because it depends on the context, but there's a school of thought that says yeah. that some big men give too much in matches like this. Yes. I'm not sure about that because I don't think that Hash ever does that in a way which ruins a match. And I also think that if, if you yeah. have big men that always don't give stuff, you have to have that tied in, I think, to a very precise narrative function. You have to be telling a story, which is that this guy runs through people, is unbeatable, and will eventually have some kind of, of not come up if it's a heel or, or, or be knocked off his perch and have to find his way back if it's a face. And that's something which I think is maybe not applicable here as much, because I do think that Ash yeah. is just, I think simply he's just not a selfish wrestler. 
No. And I think there's a difference between that and, you know, uh, not understanding your gimmick. He was he was very much a guy who he did what was right for the company yes. or what company higher-ups dictated was right for him. Sometimes I mean, to his detriment <laughs> as, a, as an individual. Yeah, I mean, look at his uh, defeats to Nara Ogawa, yeah. which really, really did irreparable harm to his aura yeah. as a legit guy. Yeah. Um, that's something we can maybe get into in a uh, later episode. Absolutely. David is still clear, cleaning up dog shit. Um, so, <laughs> so finish, very decisive. Um, uh, it's a sick DDT from Hashimoto and a spinning heel kick. That was one of his big spots, which knocks Nakano through the fucking ropes. Yeah. And then a, um, uh, a brain buster, which was um, Hashimoto's main uh, finisher. Yeah. Um, but he couldn't pin him with no, that, could he? No, he can't. No, he had no. to put on this weird... No, he's back. He yes. had to put on... Oh, you're back, hey! hey. <laughs> yeah, no, he, 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 you know, he couldn't He couldn't fucking win with the Brain Buster, could he? He had to lock on this strange head scissors co-arm bar to, like, get the, the victory via tap-out. Yeah. Of course it's by fucking tap-out. Yeah. It's never not by fucking tap-out. <laughs> there's, there's more tap-out here than, like, a fucking MMA gym. Yeah. There's, there's more tap outs than me doing a fucking catch wrestling session at the fucking gym. Like <laughs> Jesus, like. <laughs> yeah, so Dave, David, now that you've um re- returned from your excretory excavation, can you please tell us um why you thought this match was uh, dog shit? That this match, right? I it maybe have you right? This is going to sound very strange, right? Do you ever go for a shit, right? And you don't remember doing the shit. Shit, sorry. <laughs> it's called a ghosty, right? Yeah. No, 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 you no, have no, a no, shit, no, that's not a ghosty. Right? It's a ghosty is where you have a shit no, and you can't remember having the shit and when you wait, there's nothing there. So it's as if you've not done one. <laughs> oh, right. But you yeah, have. Right. Yeah, no, see, yeah. <laughs> I I I didn't I didn't know the bit about um um uh, uh, not not realizing you'd had one. I I I would always class it as you realize you've had one, but you go for the wipe and there's no evidence. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no yeah. I you know because I I've had that where I thought I'd passed out in the toilet for 25 minutes, just had no recollection of what had gone on. <laughs> However, this match is the fucking ghosty of professional wrestling, right? Because <laughs> I watched it and it was there, and I you know. I, I know I watched it. No evidence in my head that I actually watched this because I can't remember a fucking thing about this. <laughs> Nothing. Oh. Nothing. I don't even have notes. I didn't even write notes because there was fuck all to this. I mean, I know you love Hashimoto because I and he has a big teddy bear, right? Yeah. But oh, yeah. It's not his best. Oh, it's no, not no. his best. No, no. me and George and... were just saying that it's it's a disappointing match. It's oh, a God, oh, all these fucking, like... All these fucking fecal references, like we've become the Puro Puri Podcast. Am well, I right? When I when I when I first typed in the Puro Puri Podcast, that's completely off. But when I typed that into Google the first time, it says, "Do you mean the Puro Puri Podcast?" And I was like, well, <laughs> "How we fucking do?" Right? <laughs> I, there's I, I can't I don't know anything about this match apart from Hashimoto was in it, and that's yeah. it. But, I didn't even know he tapped out. In the back of my mind, he knew he tapped out because it's fucking New Japan versus UWFI. That's just the way <laughs> I mean, I'd be taking a guess at the finish and I'd have probably said, did a UWFI guy tap out? But it's not because I knew. It's shit. Not, not, that's it. There is nothing here. Nothing at all. It is a total mind wipe. Yeah. I, I yeah. have no recollection of this. Yeah, it, I think I wrote yeah, one note is. 
I can't even remember what the note it's, was. It's made even less memorable for the fact that Hash is a guy that you're used to seeing have matches, which are, you know, I can count 10, in, you know, of, of great Hashimoto matches that uh, I will never forget as long as I live, you know? Like, um, so it's it can be odd seeing him, especially for guys like us who, I mean, well, when I was first getting into Japanese wrestling, there wasn't the availability of footage there is today. So you, you had shit cherry-picked for you. Like, and God, like, I mean, we... You know, you'd sit there with, with six-hour-long tapes that you'd got, and it was like All Japan Main Event after All Japan Main Event after All Japan Main Event. Like, it just... I didn't even know there was, like, average Japanese wrestling, you know? Like, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, you know, some of these guys. So yeah. it does make it worse, I yeah, think. That, yeah, like I said earlier, this match looked great on paper, yeah. and it really wasn't you ex- all that. It was better than... Uh, actually, I don't know if I recommend watching it over... The, the Choshu versus Anjo match because I think the Choshu versus Anjo match is entertaining yeah. just for the sheer train wreck fuckery of oh, it. Oh, yeah. I'd rather... Yeah. There is a morbid curiosity to Choshu Anjo and like, I remember Choshu Anjo mainly because Choshu is a fucking wank camera yes. and that. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, that, that, I, I can't tell you a single thing about this match and that's the worst type of match for me. I would yeah, take, give me an worst. absolutely yeah, yeah. dreadful match that I remember over this because nothing. Yeah, I mean, what what I've got written here is um, just as a general point about those three matches um, uh, is that how far is their general one sidedness to do with the size differential and uh, how much of it is to do with wanting to get one over on UWFI? I think we've answered that in a great amount of detail, so I won't uh, dwell <laughs> on that too much. But the other one thing I wanted to ask before we move on to the main event is. Can these matches be said to be shoot style at all, really? Not particularly. No, I, I, I don't think so. But then again, as as we mentioned no. before, it wasn't the mo um, of, um, of 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 these matches. I don't actually think by this point it, it's obvious, really, uh, to be shoot style matches. It, the the mo of these matches was to present shoot style as um, clashing with strong style um, and basically have strong style win. <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I think by this point they've they've given up on. I'm, I'm really bo- bothering to um, infuse too much with shoot style, and it, and it gets awkward. Yeah, yeah that, it, it does get very awkward. That, that's what we said. It is more strong style than shoot style. Yeah. Anyway, um, main event. Um, well, before the main event, um, Inoki and Saito have a little chat on commentary again, and I can't concentrate because this long-haired young man in the crowd behind them is just giving the camera sex eyes for about two minutes. <laughs> it's a... It is literally yeah. transfer deadline day on Sky Sports News, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is the vibrator in the ear outside Upton Park. It is. Do you know the um the look he gives just to, just to go back to an obscure football reference? Uh, do you guys remember the um the careless whisper? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck me! I showed this to Sarah three days ago. I hope someone did something for the Lincoln Ipswich game. Yeah. After yeah. I've just got to, I've got to give a shout out again to our mate Gary who um uh, uh, makes music and, and does visuals as well for his music and once um did an entire gig that was but the where the, where the <laughs> visuals were just based around that shot of Mick McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean needless to say I was profoundly rigid. Pretty <laughs> naturally hard. Uh, but um yeah. Uh, sorry, where where were we? I'm I'm completely lost now. We were talking about. So sorry if you don't. Sorry if you don't like talk about my massive raging boner, but like <laughs> clearly don't want to talk about this match. No. Um, I would like at this point for us all to go on the count of three with a giant groan of despair at this fucking oh main event. So <laughs> one, two, three. 
Oh. Fucking hell. Yeah. Carry on. This match. <laughs> so just to give you a bit of uh, context, um, this is for not all the marbles. It is to... Um, but it is a very important match. There's some really high stakes. It's to have new uh, UWFI, sorry, draw level in the series and therefore restore a bit of parity, even if the uh, layout of the match is suggested New Japan seniority. It is also for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And that's a huge deal, or it would be an outsider winning this, as we've uh, said in episode three. Kensuke Sasaki lost a non-title match to an outsider and gave up the championship because of the shame of letting down his company. So this is like this is a huge deal. It's uh, Keiji Muto, the um, IWGP heavyweight champion, versus uh, the guy we've uh, mentioned quite copiously in episode four, um, UWFI head honcho Nobuhiko Takada. Takada started out in New Japan, uh, as I think we've said before, and he's looking to be the first man to be a junior heavyweight tag team and heavyweight champion in New Japan. So a lot on the line. Um, and you know, I'm sure they're going to give us a uh, a contest worthy of uh, of these stakes. <laughs> yeah, you'd think so, right? Like, uh, yeah. So I mean, let let's just try and maybe break this break this match down. I mean, uh, as you said, this is a match that we are talking about as as being on one of the biggest stages in one of the uh, biggest feuds that made the most amount of money. Uh, you know, one of the most amounts of money um, in, in Japanese wrestling history, really. Um, this is. I honestly don't think I have ever seen, especially I'd say for the first um, seventy percent of of this match, a more disappointing um, main event to a show of this size. I'm struggling to think of one. Um, I don't know if you guys can can think of one. Um, um, I, I... I'm trying to think. There's got oh well, you you could you can maybe argue some of the, some of the Triple H WrestleMania ones. Like Triple H Randy Orton. Triple H Randy Orton. Yeah, yes, that's yes, true. that's a great shout. Um, that's true. You know what? You, you know what? I think it's better than this. <laughs> wow. And, and 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 guess what? Guess what? I mean, people that know me will know this. I despise Triple H and Randy Orton as as as, as workers. They are not guys that I like. And Takada, I really like. Uh, and Muto. Not he has his great, moments. But he, he has his moments. He has he has he has a great yeah he has some great runs. He's a good wrestler. So um yeah so so that's 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 such a sin <laughs> really when you think yeah about I think it. maybe it's because like I guess you kind of expected more from these guys yeah that's probably what did, makes it yeah. you know I I'm not I I'm not saying it's inferior to Triple H Randy Orton because you know I'd rather have my eyes scooped out with a melon ball than watch uh, Triple H versus Randy Orton. <laughs> so, I, 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 just to clarify, I, I'm not necessarily I think it is superior as uh, that, that match right, is superior okay. to the wrestling match. I'm saying that I would probably rather watch that again. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not going to disagree with that. I think the Triple H Randy Orton, I do think it's better than this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let, let's let's get into um, let's, let's get down. into the sheer fucking hellness of it all. Um. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, Muto really over here. He gets a lot of chance. As we said before, this is certainly not a split crowd. This is a New Japan crowd, and the UWFI guys are in Booger Red's yard. Um. There's <laughs> some decent stuff with uh. There's a few dueling heel hooks in the early going. Uh, Muto's willing to let Takada get the better of him in exchanges, maybe because they're comparable in size and there's a certain uh, incentive to keep Takada strong as, you know, by far the biggest star in the UWFI posse. Um, and the problem is that uh, the commentators are trying to make 
uh, Takada's submissions, like his toe holds, seem like a big deal, like they could end the match at any moment. But the crowd aren't biting, and Muto isn't biting. No, That's the problem. Muto is he's kind of just laying on his feckin' ass. Yeah. I mean, it, it's actually... All, it's gone down into infamy, so, you know, the, this part of the match and other sections as well, as being the go-to and sort of section of a match that people look at when they are trying to argue for what in recent years become kind of a, a revisionist position, I suppose, when it comes to Muto, which is that, you know, the book on him for years was that he was this great worker that was having these fantastic main events. And in the last sort of, um, you know, few years or so, maybe 10 years or so, certainly in places like EWO and that kind of place, it's been shown up to be, I think, a bit of a lie. I mean, this is an example of some, just, I'll, be, well, I'll outright say this, I am not someone who will ever get in a wrestling ring and wrestle. Keiji Muto is a thousand million billion times the wrestler that I will ever be. But in this match, he's fucking lazy. He really is. This you know? reminds me of you know, when you were at school. Remember, it was the last day of school. Yeah. And you would go to school and it would be great. And you're excited for the holidays. And then there was always that one class where they would make you do the lesson. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck's yeah. the point? And like, yeah. I'm half expecting Takeda to ask if they can play Trivial Pursuit. Because... <laughs> yeah. It's just fucking, like, I, I had a history class which relentlessly did this every year, but they didn't make us do a lesson. Instead, they made us watch Schindler's List every year <laughs> on the last day of school. That's a, that's a great way to G you up for the holidays, into Yeah, last yeah, party. Uh, holiday. Holiday, yeah, all those poor Jews. Oh, my God. It's like... Fucking hell. Like, every fucking year, Schindler's List, right? Probably more action-packed than this. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 This is this is proper end of school metal. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's it's become notorious, and I mean, yeah. can you guys maybe I don't know. I, I would say that it does pick up. I, I will yes. give it that. Um, yes. It does. Yeah. The first ten minutes are rotten, but it yeah. does pick up. Yeah, I, there's a bit I like, which um, I think maybe the teachers told Muto, like, right, look, if you're good for the first half, then I'll put on the final episode of Blackadder Goes Forth for you. So he thinks, oh, shit, yeah. maybe, maybe maybe make a bit of an effort. So um, there's some pretty slow but reasonably hard-fought grappling, albeit with not much selling. Uh, that's broken when Muto gets enough of a dominant position to uh, bounce off the ropes and attempt that, you know, that uh, quite rapid elbow drop that he does. Um, to kind of move that way, the one that the one that yeah. Dean Ambrose um, nicks now. Yeah, the one that Dean Ambrose tries to do, and um, yeah, uh, I think that's a nice example of incorporating pro wrestling spots, which you would never do in a shoot fight, into this more mat based psychology. I think Takada tries his best with you know, Muto gets fired up with some headbutts and some stomps and kicks, and Takada does a good job of looking shaken up before he fires back. So it seems like um, you know he at least you know one guy is like trying to uh, bring some emotion. Yeah. There's some of the some of the good moves like some knees from uh, Takada countered with this amazing like shooty release German from Muto. You know the kind we talk about talked about in episode four where yeah. they just get behind yeah. you and just throw you back, dump you on your head, and then there's a backdrop and then Muto misses a moonsault, uh, which I think uh, B J Penn was uh, really known for in UFC um, doing the moonsault classic <laughs> shoot technique. Yeah, like I mean that that I'll go as far as to say this, which is not this is damning this match with faint praise. That that released German thing, that 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 spot's my probably my favorite spot of the whole match. Like, yeah, it's it's absolutely lovely. It's nothing special, you know. It's it's beautiful, but it's not. It's the kind of thing that you see people, guys do on the indie circuit every week now. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like the bits at the end, like David said, 
Um, there was some good stuff. Um, finally, an armbar out of nowhere gets a minor reaction from the crowd, probably because they know Takada's an actual threat. And even more when he uh, he locks in another one after a backdrop driver. And they do this, uh, the, the classic UWFI psychology, where Muto, as you would if you were a shoot fighter, uh, locks his hands together to try and prevent the arm being yeah. hyperextended. It's not like, you ever watch, um, I, I know we've, we've ragged on him already in this episode, but fucking Alberto Del Rio. You know, those matches he used to do, where we do the arm bar and he'd have it in for about, gosh, four hours. And then uh, yeah. the person he, with the arm fully extended, mind you, and whoever he was was wrestling would be selling, but be basically fine and then crawl towards the ropes and then you know, usually win. You know, that's because in UWFI, if Takada had the arm bar, it was basically his finisher. If he had the arm bar on you and he fully extended the arm, that was it. So they've yeah. sort of met them yeah. halfway with the pro wrestling and the shoot style and psychology. To be fair... To be fair, Muto does he, he he scrambles to get out of that armbar, reaching for the rope. Yeah. Um, he did, I, yeah. I really like the way that he tried to escape from it. Um yeah. as well as that, I like the follow up where Muto just goes hell for leather. He just desperately tackles Takeda right into the ropes, try just to try to kill Takeda's momentum, just try yeah. to take him down, stop him, slow him down. Which I thought was a really good part of the match. Muto's like, right, I'm if he locks it in, I'm fucked. I need to stop him and try and yes. regroup. But, but I think that I think that set- is, is why. Yeah. Mo- Sorry, go on, George. I was gonna say I think that's selling uh, selling fear more than selling pain. If you get my if you get my drift. Yeah. But yeah. 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 And I, I was just gonna say that that to me though is why Muto is such a frustrating wrestler. And I've watched quite a lot of Muto um, throughout my my years. He can you know he he can do things in a match like that where you think, wow, that's that's pretty cool. I like what you've done there. Um, that's that's drawn me into this otherwise kind of standard spot. You know. Um, but he just doesn't apply himself, it seems, that often. He, he's happy to coast through to entire sections of matches sometimes. Now, I, I will say that um, um, I'm beginning to watch a lot of matches from the uh, the year 2000 um, at the moment for a project that's that's happening on, on PWO. Um, and um, I've already seen a fair bit of, of Muto's sort of uh, uh, 2000 run where I, I know that there's there's some very highly thought of things in there. Um, that kind of come out of nowhere. Um, so look, the guy has had some very good matches. I'm, I'm not saying he hasn't, yeah. but it's just so frustrating when you see the kind of stuff he's capable of. You know? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. clearly so talented, and yet, you know, in you know, this is probably the biggest match of his life at this point. Yeah, and you know, he he, he just kind of acts like acts like he can't be bothered. The, I quite like the, I quite like the finish. So Muto counters a kick with the uh, sort of uh, Fujinami uh, dragon screw and mm-hmm. gets a really huge pop locking in the figure four uh, and they do that great spot which you often saw, saw uh, Giant Up the Rubber doing with the the Destroyer where you know how at the end of the figure four like they lock it in by basically bringing their other leg down onto the leg yeah to the alleviate the pressure yeah yeah and uh, yeah, Takara's yeah, yeah. holding Muto's leg up to stop him locking the holding yeah. fully like I really like that and there's some really cool like striking sequences uh, Takara kicks his way out of another of another dragon screw um yeah, at this point the crowd are, the crowd actually get into oh, it yeah, like, they go absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so does the crowd and yeah he did, and Takeda yeah. just puts him in the face to stop the second dragon screw because he knows that you know Takeda's like he's on a bad wheel he needs to stop this now yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely and um yeah, there's a great bit where he does some palm strikes and hits a head kick and they actually start doing the 10 count as in Takada's yeah. gonna win by knockout Amuto beats the count and then gets Enzigirid, but for some reason just weirdly no-sells it and puts the figure four yeah. on. And um, now I, I will we'll, um, 
we'll let our audience uh, have a little play. We'll make this a bit more of an interactive podcast. See if you can guess what the finish of this match <laughs> is going to be. Is is it going to be? You can play. You can play two, David. You can play two. Yeah. For 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 for, ver- for various reasons, uh, David's had a bit of a tough year. We want to try and get him a lot of money today. <laughs> <laughs> He's got two dogs shitting on the floor. He's, <laughs> he's, he, he, he's got a lot of dogs shitting everywhere. He can't even send a uh, 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 can through the mail anymore. Let's try and give him a lot of money. Let's give him a lot of money. Okay, so your options are, is it A, Nobuhiko Takada reverses the figure four and rolls up Muto into a small package with a one, two, three? Is it B, Takada goes absolutely ape, kicks him in the head until he stops moving and then locks in the armbar? Muto taps out, the first tap out for a New Japan wrestler. Is it three? Nobuhiko Takada obliterates Keiji Muto in some sort of Dragon Ball Z-like fury. Or is it D? Nobuhiko Takada submits to a move that has not been a viable finisher in Japan since the 70s. So I'll give you a bit of time to think, you at home. Give you a few seconds. Well, it is a tough one. Um, (laughs) Chris, can I I phone a friend? I have a friend, his name is Daniel. I think he might know this one. I remember him. I remember going to the pub and him, him talking about this match at some point. So I think he might know this. Um, he's an anarchist. So um, I don't know if he has a phone line, but if you want to give it a go anyway. Um, yeah, so go, go ahead. Get phone of friends. Hello? Hello? Is, is that mum? Is that mum? Daniel, Daniel, I need your help. You're not my real dad! <laughs> Daniel, I'm at £200 a millionaire, right? You, I need you your spent help. £200 in the bookies! Big money, you know? I'm in the what, big what, money, what? 200, 200 quid a millionaire. I told you that. Oh, I need, okay, I need right. your answer, I've got 30 seconds. Fucking shut up, I've got 30 seconds, right? <laughs> Alright, I'm sorry, yeah. yeah. Hello, Chris. <laughs> Takeda Muto, Tokyo Dome, October 95. Oh, yeah, remember right. it well. Yeah, remember it well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A, does Takeda yeah. reverse the figure four and roll him up? B, <laughs> does Takeda just go mental and lock him in an armbar? Three, does Takeda turn Super Saiyan and destroy Muto? Or four, does Takeda tap out clean to a move that's not a shoot move? We're up against the clock here, come on. You know the fucking answer, he taps out! How sure are you? 100 fucking percent! I remember that view like the back of my fucking hand. Taps out. We all fucking tap out the fucking Jesse. Cheers, Daniel. Chris. Alright. Chris. I'm going to go for D. Stop corpsing, Chris. Well, I mean, you were on, you know, a satisfying and well booked feud with New Japan and UWFI having some nice back and forth. Maybe UWFI going over in the first instance, therefore making them an even greater invading force and leading to a bigger monetary and critical payoff later. But we don't want to give you that. The answer's D. No way. Never. Yeah. That, that was, I that fucking was... hate this feud. <laughs> I fucking hate it. Stop making them tap out. <laughs> I mean, for fuck's sake. It's not hard. I, I, I'd have taken a fuck finish. I'd have taken a dusty yeah. finish. I'd have taken Takeda's boots are not regulation boots. <laughs> yeah. I'd have fucking taken it, right? But no. 
That's not allowed. <laughs> That's not on the fucking menu today. Today's course of the day is fucking UWFI Starlet tapping it in the main event to a move that's not even a fucking shoot submission move. Yeah, we could we could go we could um um while while, while David decontented his windows because of all the steam that's blown out of his ears. What's the number for the Samaritans? They don't know <laughs> they fucking need it about now. Hey, 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 mate, I suffer from depression. I've got it on fucking speed dial. <laughs> After watching this match, I don't fucking believe it. <laughs> yeah. I was fine. I, I was fine before. Um, so, um... <laughs> it, God, that's so it's, 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 it's fine. His shoot has anxiety. <laughs> we can make these yeah, jokes. Yeah, yeah. Can this match oh, actually just fuck off now? No, no, we're going to talk yeah. about the figure four. Um, so just to give you a bit of context, oh, uh, the figure four was banned in UWFI matches because as we said in episode four, they didn't do any, uh, and in this episode actually, they didn't do any holds which were not shoot submission holds. They didn't go for any moves that you would not do in a real fight. And it hadn't really been a viable finisher in Japan as uh, the wonderful Chris Tarrant uh, informed us earlier um, since the 70s. It was very much associated with top American stars like uh, Jack Briscoe and the Destroyer. The Destroyer in particular, when he came over to Japan in the 60s, uh, the figure four was... Yeah, you may not believe it now if you're uh, used to modern wrestling, but the figure four was fucking death. Like, no one got out of the figure four. If he had it on you, you, you would lose. And then in the 80s, Ric Flair won matches in it with it, but like you, you, you've probably seen Ric Flair matches. His figure four is a, a potent move, but it's pretty easily countered and it's it's pretty escapable. Yeah. So not yeah. only did New Japan go over and and really look dominant, as if that wasn't bad enough, they uh, Choshu booked it so that New Japan uh, Unified top guy would submit to a, a, a move that was a pro wrestling hold. It was not a shoot hold. It was a pro wrestling hold. I want to ask a question here. Can you think of a worse hold for Takeda to tap to? Um, Maybe like a trapezius nerve pinch? <laughs> <laughs> Even yeah. then, I can, maybe, I can maybe believe that. Because, I mean, somebody pinches you in the nerve, it fucking hurts. I, I can believe. Chinese burn, maybe? Oh, I've got it. I've got it. The colossal clutch. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. The Iron Claw. <laughs> that that, that, that was what I was going to say. That was what I was going to say was the Iron Claw. That was the first one that came up. That was the most over-finisher in Japan at, the, at, at one point. Hey, yeah, we'll we'll cover a match maybe one day in which the Claw is, um, the claw. is, is used to an uh, incredible uh, kind of dramatic... Yeah. The Claw is the law. So, uh, just, brief, just briefly summing up... Um, the original idea. This match was shit, and I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't go that far, but I think it certainly was very, very disappointing for what was on, what was at stake in Kayfabe and the the importance of the show. The original idea yeah. was for Takada to win and then mm. to actually win the rematch against Muto as well before dropping the belt to another wrestler. And uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, <coughs> that didn't uh, transpire. What the upshot of it was, was that Takada's reputation as a legit guy took an absolutely huge hit at the next UWFI show. Um, he was booed really heavily by the UWFI fans for letting them down. And he ended yeah. up just getting the house mic and swearing at them, <laughs> which is a great way to diffuse tensions and very Takada-ish, if you know anything about his like shoot personality. <laughs> Really well, one is, thing like... I would say is that, and reading uh, the Wrestling Observers from around about this time, apparently was a lot of criticism of Takada's performance in this match. And now we've ragged on Muto, you know, rightly so in my opinion, but 
you know, do we think Takada should share some of the blame for for the match being what it was? Well, I mean, yeah. The, the problem is, is that obviously Takada is a shoot worker, but he has wrestling experience. What was the promotion that he was in? Uh, it was New, New Japan at first. He was in New Japan, yeah. and he's had those matches yeah. of Vader. Takeda can work a very good, you know, worked oh. match. He can, he can do a very good the, work match. They, uh, he can. I, I think that Takada often works better as a, in, in pro style than he does in shoot style sometimes. I feel that I don't necessarily think that, t- that this was Takada's fault. I feel that maybe the style he was working wasn't very good, but this brings me on to like, a different point about this entire card. The, the whole New Japan UWFI thing, it's a great thing in concept, but when you're eight matches in, I don't want to fucking see this style ever again. Well, like, look, 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 luckily, we're doing two more episodes on it. Every match was the same. There was so much preamble. It was like, watch it, it was like the wrestling equivalent of Fletch and Sav. Just waiting for the good bit at quarter past twelve for the actual fucking game to come on. You're waiting ten minutes. You know, every single match. Like I, I kind of realised over the last couple of months. I hate modern day submission wrestling. Right. I hate it so much because nobody can do it right, and it fucking annoys me because there's so many different ways to do a good submission match. Um, you know, you've got your shoot style. You've got your, you know, your Lucha Maestros match, and there's so many, and like the British style with the, the escapology out of holes and things like that. One of my main criticisms of like modern day WWE, especially the cruiserweights, especially cruiserweights, is that they are focused on we need a submission bit, we need a bit of submission wrestling, and you have four or five minutes of headlocks, arm ringers, wrist locks, yeah. you know, oh, it's just you know token moves. There, there's no actual, there's not actually anything behind them. And I felt that this is the same here, and that this was just moves for the sake of moves. It was only later on when he did the Dragon School leg whip that really, like, you know, Takeda started selling the leg. It was at that point that was, you know, it went on. It was a good match, uh, regardless of the result. It was a good match up until, you know, from that, the first Dragon School leg whip on. But the, the first 10 minutes was just, it's just pissing about. And I feel that. That's not necessarily Takada's fault because I feel that this has been the this was the direction they were looking for. They wanted yeah. to have this submission. You know, we need to have this ten minutes of just you know holds and passing about. I don't think they said it in quite a you know eloquent way as I did, but you know what I mean. Like they, <laughs> they, they, they were like, we need to have feeling out processes and things like that, and they didn't need it. I really didn't need it. I I can't remember if I said it on the previous recording we did of this or an episode the next episode. But if it was up to me, if I'd booked this, I would have booked Takeda versus M- uh, Muto. To have, you know, a match, like, take the last, what, how long, was this, like, 18 minutes or something? Like uh, that? Take the last eight yeah. minutes of this, stretch it out, and then, you know, work on that. You know, it should be high impact. This should be a wrestling match that Takeda is working. It shouldn't be Muto is working a UWFI match, because it's a New Japan show. And then Takeda would still beat him, and then the next time you would have the great Muta come out and bring back the Muta makeup, because it wasn't very really long after this that he did bring back the Muta makeup. And you can put in a bit of that mysticism and smoke and mirrors and things like that and have a bit more of a gimmicky match. But this this just didn't work at all for yeah, me. Yeah, I think it was like yeah. an unsatisfying hybrid of the two styles. Mm. And you really got something which was neither here nor there when it came down to it. Yeah, yeah. this should, re- should have been a wrestling match, not a shoot match. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. So um, I guess uh, uh, before we, we wrap up this section... Um, any final thoughts on this card as a whole? We've kind of run through, I think, uh, most of our most of our feelings on it. But um, yeah, any anything that we've missed uh, that we, you'd like to wrap up with, guys? Um, 
I, I have one statement and one statement alone to say. Don't mess with Ricky Troshu and deny him his hole. No! <laughs> 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 like, oh my goodness. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got nothing else to add. I've, 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 I'm, I'm all out on, on, on this particular card. Uh, it's yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. With it. <laughs> so, so, so am I. I think I, I think I probably still would recommend watching it if you're interested about this, uh, about this feud. Oh. If only for yeah. not because like yeah. any matches are like I think the only matches I would say are particularly great are like uh, the opener Liger versus Sano and like the last half of the main event. And even those I wouldn't say yeah. great. I would say like good. But at the same time, yeah. I think watching it for the occasion and just the curiosity about the how the the interpromotional dynamics and the the strange crowd reactions to the sort of halfway house of of uh, pro wrestling style and shoot style that they were seeing i think it's maybe worth a watch just for that really but as a as a oh, wrestling yeah. show I, I, it's really not that great yeah no. i mean uh, in terms of historical context i feel that yeah, yeah it's definitely worth a watch yeah. and certainly the liger sano match i really enjoyed it and think it's a really good addition to the canon of liger oh, yeah. sano it's definitely yeah. if you're watching Liger Sano matches, definitely give this a go because it's yeah, a it's yeah. a really good match and you'll enjoy it. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you pretty much nailed it. The opening tag, Otani being a dick, um, yeah. Liger Sano last eight minutes or so of the main event, all you need really. And I mean, I, I guess I to pick up on this and not, not to sort of get on a, a soapbox about how people should watch wrestling or anything, but. I do think that there is an awful lot of, of people these days, and this is why I think shows like Raw end up looking and, and being structured the way they are. There are a lot of people who just want to watch wrestling for everything that happens in the ring, and they watch it in isolation, and they don't connect it to really any kind of um, historical understanding or, or context. And this means that a lot of people live very much in the here and now when they watch wrestling. And they are, you know, and that's why I think matches kind of look the same in, in, in a lot of promotions these days, because they serve that kind of in the moment watching. But I think that there is certainly a, a groundswell in the last few years of people that want to watch wrestling because we view it as, you know, not to get too up ourselves, but we do view it as kind of culturally important, right? So people should watch things like this where, you know, maybe the matches are kind of disappointed because... It's a fascinating time capsule. And, you know, you've got stuff like Choshu and, you, and Joe, which is just, you know, a complete wreck. Yes. But, but that's okay. You know, we don't, you don't have to watch wrestling to necessarily, uh, you know, uh, watch four and a half star matches all, all the time. Sometimes you should watch wrestling because wrestling is a, a, an important piece of culture in, in some senses, in some circles, and it, it has a history. And, it has, and, and watching stuff like this, helps put into context, you know, for example, if you watch the Hashimoto match in this, and you've never seen Hashimoto before, and then someone gives you a load of the really fucking great Hashimoto matches, you, you're going to have your mind blown, you know, so don't, don't, I would say don't shy away from things that, um, you know, don't have a fantastic in-rim product, especially when they're this historically important. Another great example of this was I recently watched the entire show uh, where Hogan beats the Iron Sheik yeah. at the start of Hulkamania. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not a great show at all really but incredibly interesting because you, you you get to put things in a historical context and i think that's important yes I, as you as you both well know i am by no means dictated by the star rating system i love just as much a one star match as i do a five star match there is a lot of positivity to be found i know it doesn't sound like it because i moaned for the last hour and a half i made millionaire <laughs> yeah, references yeah. but if you just sit and watch four four and a half star matches all the time it's gonna get boring after a while it, well it does because you've got nothing to compare them to 
Like, uh, you, I mean, the, 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 if you, this is why, you know, we say this all the time on this podcast, but when we watch Raw, like, you know, I saw someone, I saw someone the other day having a pop, I think it was maybe um, Alexa Bliss on SmackDown right now. Look, I know Alexa Bliss isn't the greatest worker in the world, but she's a young worker. She's trying to um, find, find a way in terms of, you know, she's got great personality. Yeah. She's just trying to maybe add a few little things in, in ring to get to the right place. And, you know, people seem to want everyone to, like, uh, be, be born as this incredible, great five-star worker right away. Look at all these assholes that bang on about Nia Jax or Braun Strowman because they can't be. It's like, you know, there needs to be a diversity of stuff, and that should be the same in your watching as well. It doesn't mean you have to sit there watching, you know, god-awful, uh, you know, boring stuff like some of the matches in this all the time, but every now and again, just put something on and, 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 and get into it and maybe just let it wash over you. And, you know, if it's shit, it's shit. But you've got a million five-star matches. YouTube exists now. Daily Motion exists. There's a million five-star matches you can watch tomorrow. This is interesting, and it's important. So, yeah, we've slagged it off a bit, but, yeah, you know... As fans, we are people that want to try and get a handle on where the industry was at the time. I think the perfect metaphor yeah. would be my dogs, who are currently being arseholes. They are dicks, right? They eat everything. They try and destroy my house. They shit and piss everywhere, and they bark back at me. But I love them, really. They're from Lincolnshire. Yeah. They're going to be cunts. Yeah. 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 But every now and again, they have a fantastic match with Victor Zangi. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes up for that disappointing semi-main. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, I think perhaps that's probably a good time to uh, to, to finish that uh, for, for that episode. Okay, so that wraps it up for this show. And we are going to keep looking at uh, New Japan and the UWFI in some future episodes. But uh, just before we go, we have some shit to plug. Guys, do you want to, um, do you want to do some plugs? Yeah, so you can find us on Facebook uh, at the Per Poe Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Per Podcast. Um, you know, how did we get that? How did I, we get at Puro Podcast? I know. How, how, how has no one else got Per Podcast? What the fuck? Yeah, that is, that is yeah. a weird one. Yeah, at Per Podcast. That's us. Uh, enjoy our antics as we as we bam up Tesco over uh, Big Big Daddy Meltzer's star ratings. And we also have, uh, of course, you can listen to this on SoundCloud at the Pro Pro Podcast. Uh, we're on iTunes as well. And excitingly, we are now on Pro Wrestling Only slash uh, Place to Be Nation, uh, which is and like I just want to say like thanks so much to those guys for uh, having us on. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're just we're just three blokes talking shite about Japanese wrestling <laughs> and the raw and lower league football and uh, <laughs> stuff like that and. It really, it really means a lot that someone's taken a chance on us and yeah. enabled us to uh, put our stuff across to a wider audience who are hopefully enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. As well as that, I would like to give a big thank you to Voices of Wrestling, um, ah, purely yes. because they invited us to be in their match of the year yes. poll, which for me, I know it might not seem like very much, but for me, it, it makes me feel really good Like in yeah. terms of to be, you know, that people are thinking, you know, this, you, know, you have like an actual voice, people are listening to you. And we'll let you, you know, let you decide on your ten, you know, favourite matches of the year. It meant a lot to me to be included in that. I think I've been barred after my choices, (laughs) but but you know, thanks for the opportunity for that one year. But no, thank you very much to Voices of Wrestling, top guys, and they have some great podcasts as well. You should listen to them. No, yeah, 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 massive shout out to those guys, definitely. That was really nice to be able to, to, to put a ballot in there. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess the um, uh, the last thing that I would uh, plug would uh, be, um, yeah, uh, the, the Purpuri podcast was born out of 
uh, a Facebook group, which has now become a website of our own. Um, it's related to the Twitter feed as well. Um, it, uh, you find I maintain the double footstomp is silly.com. Also, like to thank yeah, the Headlock newsletter, yes. David. Yes, the Headlock newsletter. Yeah. We, we'd the, really the like voice. to thank the Headlock newsletter because those guys have been um, linking. Um, it's, it's a newsletter that sends out um, an email. Is it every week, I think? Yes, yeah, so it's a, an email yeah. every week with articles from around, around the world of wrestling. That, they, they, that person enjoys. Because also, you usually get a free match with it yeah. as well. Um, yeah. Usually, a bit of merch that you know, that yeah. you go by. So. Yeah. So they, they, they featured quite a lot of articles that we've had on our website. I maintain the double foot stomp is silly.com. And just so as you uh, you know, guys, uh, shout out to you for that. But we are changing our name as much as you might want us to do. No, <laughs> um, we're not. <laughs> no chance. So yeah, um, uh, I think that's, um, that's pretty much everything that, that we need to plug, guys, I think. Okay. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay. Uh, in that case, then, we'll catch you um, um, on the next episode. And uh, yeah, take it easy. Speaking of hell, um, our uh, next yes, match yeah. is... <laughs> Bear with me for a yes. moment. Bear with me for a moment. Two seconds, sorry, I need to... Yeah, I need to slash as well, so that's really good timing. All right. Sorry. Um, that's all right. This, this probably won't go in, but um, since we last recorded this podcast, I got two dogs, and they're <laughs> arseholes. Just thought they'd let them know. Um, you, I, you, you you say this won't go in, and then you give me something as perfect as that for the weird little bits that I do for the segue. It's like that's that's going in. All, all I'm saying is right that you know I think was it the last one, the last episode that we mentioned about shoot style in Japan kind of going off off the rails, not really done well. My dogs, right? They're bringing shoot style back. They roll. <laughs> they they're fucking rolling. And then Colin bites Freya's nose because he's a dick. And then Freya bites her back. It, it's like honestly, it's, is it is it is it like Valley Tudo then? I mean, <laughs> I, you like can have a look at the no moment. Because, I mean, look look at this. Can you see them? <laughs> oh, yeah. God, Freya has Colin in side control right here. <laughs> Kimura, look for the Kimura. You're gonna have to jelly out there. Oh. <laughs> Out. I'm I'm tempted to try and get them on fight pass. I'm not gonna lie. I think they'd fucking take them. <laughs> Easy. Like, that, that, that could probably be on like the first prelude of a Cage Warriors fight. <laughs> but Cage Warriors I think they're more trained. <laughs> and, they, and they can't even shit on a mat. You know who can shit on a mat? Mickey Choshu. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Waiting in the wings, a man about to fight for his political life. Deep breath and into the limelight.
Yoji Anjos, 37, 5'11", 200 pounds. This is his debut in Pride Fighting Championships, but boss, his past does involve the Gracie family. We must destroy this double-dealing, deceitful, incompetent, shallow, inefficient, ineffective, corrupt, mendacious, fraudulent, shameful, lying government once and for all. Okay, now, a long time ago, Yoji, that was in 94, went to Hickson Gracie's Academy and he challenged him there to a grudge match, right there at the dojo. Now, Hickson got the better of him and he, uh, yeah, he beat him up, but he always wanted to fight Hickson again. And now, at least, he's gonna get a shot at another Gracie. So, well, for him, this is kind of a grudge match. That was a lie. I will fight, 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 and fight again to save the country that I love. <laughs> to fight for them, to be strong for them, to be here for them, and together to win for them. I don't know, David, you got any thoughts on this? <laughs> Hello? 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 <laughs> Are you still talking about this fucking match? The Hashimoto one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, sorry, I spent the last couple of minutes cleaning up dog shit, right? And speaking of dog shit, I hated this match and it was boring as fuck. And I know what dog shit is, so I fucking cleared it up and put it in the bin just there. Okay, good. You thought you were safe yeah, from dog yeah, shit. Yeah. But like, like, okay, yeah. so, so, so. Get... I think dog shit may, may be a bit strong for this match, but like, it isn't that, it isn't that good. One thing I would say in its favour. Though, Should we just let, let let David out like why 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 he didn't like it so much? Yeah, yeah, go go on then. That's a good idea. Fucking hell! It's just leave that matter alone. Fuck's sake! Right, um, sorry, I've got dogs all over the place. Right, <laughs> this match is fucking bollocks, right? Right, bear with me for a moment. Talk about yourself, right? I'm I'm yeah. saying silence. Yeah. 
This is their first ever head-to-head -head meeting. You know, the year 1996 was certainly very different for these two men. Uh, I think it had to be termed the high watermark for the 21-year-old Mysterio. He had that four-month reign as the Cruiserweight Champion and really made a name for himself in uh, Japan and the United States. 96, though, was maybe one of the toughest years that Jushin Liger has endured in a 13-year career. Uh, back in August, Liger underwent surgery to remove a brain tumor. He's made a remarkable recovery with a return to the ring just over two months later. Oh, 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 oh.